0: to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of... do re mi fa sol do You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. Yeehaw! That lost highway. I
1: believe a key element, oh my gosh, my voice is cracking, but you know what? We're going to do it live. Uh, I I believe a key element to finding clarity in moving forward in any effort you have present in your life is to find the element of play in it. So again, I am a moron, so I have no idea what I'm saying, but we as all mammals We have a play circuit wired into our operating system as beings. We're born knowing and needing the act of play, all mammals. What play is, in my layman's terms, is an interaction with time that is not based on duration, path, or or outcome. So like duration, path, outcome is like when you're driving somewhere, and you want to know how long it's going to take to get there, what roads you're going to take to get there, and where it is you're going, right? You go to the gym. Those, these are duration path outcome tasks. These are very taxing, and uh, these involve a certain part of the brain and are often not extremely creative in their intention. In our society here in America, we very much so value these duration path outcome tasks, but these aspects, though, are ones our society deems quite cru- crucial to success, yet... Play is more or less not a large priority. The thing about play is that some of our greatest memories and achievements come from this inspired state of operation. It is rather easy to fall into a feedback cycle of duration path outcome-based tasks, right? That's just working the 9 to 5. That is just kind of staying on, um, on, on cruise control, right? To always be on time's leash as opposed to having time on your own leash, my friend. Now that is play. An urgency to recognize the flexibility of time in this manner is in due order. Life is long and full of exponential opportunity we can never fully comprehend. We live in a world that generates opportunity in endless surplus. We don't even know all the opportunity that's available to us. We cannot miss the bliss of play, right? Play is when we get into that serotonin flow state, when time actually is not the most important priority at hand. And the reason why this is so heavy on my mind recently is because we've been playing back down at Robert's Western World, which is the best honky-tonk in the entire universe. It's the home of traditional country music. It's 15 feet away from the Ryman. I played close to 500 shows there. We've been playing back down there again as Nashville slowly reopens from the uh, COVID pandemic. And it's incredible again. My brain is going back into play mode, and I'm realizing how great play is and it's actually a resting stage from a duration path outcome based schedule so if you can find time in your day to keep working hard and stay diligent on duration path outcome based tasks but then also make sure to rest that part of your brain and still keep on working but make sure it's with play so play is actually it seems like it's a required part of our operating system as mammals so find time to play Find time to play. Make time to play. Find the thing it is that inspires you, that allows you to get in that serotonin flow state and work at it every day and get better and stay positive, stay patient, stay persistent. In our lives, there are these moments of gifted epiphanies, brief moments of great vision and clarity, and people who are kind of these guardian angels in some way where they came into your life right when they needed to. And so the first day I ever tried playing music to make money, I made zero (laughs) dollars and zero cents. And my dad was standing by me the whole time. What it was, I was busking on the street in Nashville, Tennessee with an acoustic guitar. Nobody could hear me over the noise of the tourists and the horses walking by and the trucks walking by. I made no money, and I was a little bummed. And we were walking past a bar called Legends Corner, And Jason was playing. Uh, He had a gig down there, a regular gig, with a phenomenal band. And he was just about to go and pass around the band's tip jug, which is something you do to make money and communicate with your audience. His bass player, Rockin' Randy Hall, called me out from the street and said, Hey, kid, come up on stage and play some music with us. (laughs) And this was one of the most magical moments of my life. And from that moment on, Jason Link became one of my big brothers. And he's been a mentor to me ever since It's a phenomenal opportunity to call him as a friend and reflecting on this moment in my life. I see how big of a deal it was in regards to the moment of clarity that came to me when I was able to play music on stage for the first time. And I was holding a Telecaster, hearing the notes come from an amplifier out from behind me into a room, affecting an audience, seeing the audience lose their mind. It was just everything. And so we, uh, Jason and I got the opportunity to catch up, talk about what's going on. He has since moved to Florida. And uh, this just really two good friends catching up and talking about life. So with no further ado, Mr. Jason. Lake.
0: Here we are, brother, Jake the Snake style, baby.
1: Who is Jake the Snake?
0: Jake the Snake is a wondrous WWE wrestler back when it was known as WWF and used to bring a giant python into the ring how does that happen did he have a license i I don't even know i think that was the wild old school days where they could just do whatever the hell they wanted to but jake the snake would literally bring the snake in and after he beats you with the ddt he lays the snake on you right and he kind of looks like he looks like he could be one of my uncles you know what i mean
1: like
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe rocking Randy Hall, you know, in his younger days or something. What do you think? You know what Chris, I'm saying? He was the most other man. He was. Right. But can you imagine, like, that's what you have to bring to the airport is the snake?
1: <laughs> I bet but, he had a snake guy.
0: Right. I would hope so. If he didn't have one, i feel sorry for him because I'm terrified. My wow. God. Can you imagine? I. You know, I've had to carry worse during an airport. You and I think we're doing good with guitars and mandolins. This man's carrying a snake around. Mm-hmm. Hey
1: this guy right. is winning. That is the definition right there.
0: Think about that. Think about that commitment to your character, brother Daniel.
1: What do you mean commitment to character by that? Well, that's fascinating. That is a fascinating concept.
0: Are we officially on yet or no? Is this oh, We're on, we're rolling. I love this. This is fantastic. So we can just roll. <laughs> Very good. This is Joe Rogan style. So Commitment to your character is these guys in the 80s wrestling, man, they were so... Committed to that character that either Vince McMahon, the owner, or, or whoever right. themselves had created, that they owned it. Nowadays, for example, in wrestling, the guy, everybody knows that it's not supposedly real, right? But back then, the bad guy stayed in one hotel, the good guy stayed in another. So when they were in a town fighting, wrestling, whatever, that people thought it was legit real. So this guy's so immersed in his character. He's traveling around like imagine he walks into a Wawa back in the 80s, even though I don't know if Wawa was there with oh, yeah. a giant snake, right? Is That's that, into your character. Is that even legal? I don't know. I've never done it. I've never, <laughs> I've never tried it. You know what I mean? I'm not sure. But like, can you just imagine like the poor lady at the Red Roof Inn? It's just having an ordinary night around 11 p.m. and then a man walks in with a giant python. Yeah, I need to check into room 476. You know what I mean? Like he would be on the top floor, right? Of course, of course. I would hope he gets something for carrying a snake. My heavens! Wow. So that's what I admire. You know, I admire that commitment to the character.
1: I think it was probably back in 2010. You sat me down and you showed me the Rock's farewell speech from the WWE. Wow.
0: Wow, that's dude. That's incredible. Hold on, it's even incredible for people to remember sometimes what you don't remember. I remember something different. I remember sitting with you like at the local Mexican restaurant, Hermitage, oh, right, oh, yeah. eating some chips and doing that deal and sitting at the piano. I don't remember that, which is incredible to hear. But the Rock, the Rock is a master at. At delivering the message whatever the message is
1: that's the same thing you said that was the same thing what do you mean by that
0: yeah he's uh, he is uh, he learned I believe he learned from like Muhammad Ali Ric Flair these people like that he knows exactly when he goes in to do a spill for promoting a movie for a wrestling match for whatever he knows exactly how to deliver the message he's trying to get across
1: okay right
0: right? That, that, that's the point. He knows exactly how to, to captivate an audience, you know? And I think that's what I admire in wrestlers because I really believe, think about it, you have to make a building either love you or hate you. It's your job to make go into a, a coliseum and make 19,000 people hate you, right? And get under their skin and rattle them. And so that's something always, I think the wrestlers, if you really think about like Ric Flair, or the Rock, or somebody that's really, really good at, at captivating audience. They're almost like the outlaws, like mm. William and These people that, because I believe those people in the seventies, like in the country outlaw area, they were characters. More that they're they're, they're characters just as much as their music. Yes, you know, absolutely. Versus you know, what I feel nowadays, I mean, it's, it's uh, great stuff is happening too. So let me not, let me not get in trouble on this podcast. Can you imagine? But
1: <laughs> no, there's no trouble. if anyone get, if you get in trouble on a podcast, right. that's breaking the rules of the platform. It's not how it works.
0: Okay, good. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm entitled and allowed to say that. That's incredible. So yeah, yeah I just, I, I relate so closely. Ric Flair and the Rock, I'm giving the Rock is is an after example of someone like Ric Flair, right? Because yeah, because the Rock got so much of his. If you watch his spell, you know I'm the eyebrow raising da 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 chasing blah 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 blah. And Ric Flair was I'm the kiss stealing wheeling dealing son of a gun blah 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 blah. You know, and and all that originates back to Gorgeous George and Muhammad Ali. If you've ever seen Muhammad Ali do this, because. Muhammad Ali knew that if, if people hated him at the beginning of his career, they wanted to pay to see him get beat. He said mm. that in his biography. Yeah. So he would, it's, 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 it's what Conor McGregor does too in the UFC. You see, they're, they're right. They generate the interest. Because think about, it, think about how many people want to see Conor McGregor, how happy they were when Khabib, you know, beat him. Destroy. how many uh, pay-per-view buys generated, right? So everyone's taking this to heart. This is how I know he's, he's great. I don't put him on the same level as like Muhammad Ali or The Rock or Ric Flair, but he's so good that my well, wife- How did not
1: put amazing. Conor McGregor on the same- He's an actual fighter.
0: Well, I'll tell you why. Because Muhammad Ali, I believe, only in my opinion- Yeah. He, he did it in such a classy, intelligent way. So okay. what I mean by that is he didn't have to say, fuck this, fuck this, you're a fucking bitch, blah, 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 He could, he could give you right exactly what it was in a poem. He could insult you by doing poetry. You do you I'm think,
1: saying? do you think also the, also though, his audience at that time was in a different psyche than they are today? And he was competing for less attention. Like there is you have to stand out so hard now in order to make an impact that large. You almost kind of have to be a firework of something that
0: isn't I, think, I think the reason Sterling
1: Simpson, I, case in point.
0: This is a great point. I love what you're saying because it makes me think. But I think the reason Connor does that a little bit is because in the UFC, you know, world, that's pretty much, you know, there's a lot of cussing, there's a lot of fuck this, blah 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 blah. And he's yeah. used to that. But I think. It, to be like remembered like Muhammad Ali, who was an activist, right? If you think about it, he didn't join the the war. Uh, you have to speak to the masses. Muhammad Ali was a guy you could bring on any platform, and he could do it. And he would never even have to cuss to get his point across, which I think is I think that's incredible. Ric Flair too. Ric Flair didn't have to. I mean, Ric Flair could insult you so badly. My God, he could. Like, <laughs> he could really and he he wouldn't have and i just think there's a a more of an art form to it although connor is my guy i love connor
1: so how is connor your guy your wife dislikes connor
0: well (laughs) what i was saying by that is he's so good at what he does is that my wife is watching him and she doesn't watch ufc right she doesn't care about this imbecility that we do (laughs) but she's she's watching this and she goes i hate that guy He's cocky. He's blah blah blah. He thinks he's got it. Da da da. He talks too much. I hate him. Oh and God. so then it registered with me. I go, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing as an entertainer. You, you see, really? huh. right? Because he's evoking an emotion, right? My wife is why she hates him. Hates him, mm-hmm. right? And when I say hates, I mean not hate, but doesn't like him because she thinks. Oh no, yeah. Not. But he's doing that because he knows that that will generate the publicity, that will generate the excitement around the fight, which is incredible. You know?
1: Yeah. Can a musician, a musician can do that. I think Sergio Simpson does that. He kind of has that Conor McGregorism.
0: I think he does. He does in a backwards way, in my opinion. I think he... There's no direct opponent in music.
1: You're not trying to beat someone. So it's not, I don't know if it's that easy, but uh, he does beat the system. He kind of, Conor McGregor's against the system.
0: I think he does it in a Kanye sort of way, a little bit. So
1: Kanye West, again, yeah, he kind of, they kind of both fulfill the role of the hero and the villain at the same time, which is a very fascinating concept.
0: I think, because I think the thing about him that I really enjoy, I love him. I absolutely love him. I, I don't think he's an entertainer, like a nature boy, Ric Flair kind of deal. He's not flashy, not pizzazzy. Uh-huh. but... He knows exactly how to market himself in the most genius way. And he actually turns the tides on the music industry that every, you know, that we all have to go through. You and me, everyone has to go through all these different processes to get fame or get our version of fame. And he's kind of, he's kind of reverse engineering that because he did all those things to get on the late shows, to get, you know, to go in Rolling Stone, all these things. But now he's kind of reversing it. So it makes his fan base really, really tight, I believe.
1: And what he did with Tyler Childers?
0: Oh, that's brilliant. That's that's absolutely brilliant. Because I, I, you mean in regards to the tour and the and the and producing him? Yeah, yeah. But I think I I think Sturgill I think has a bigger goal. I could be wrong. I'm just guessing for him. Sturgill might look at me and say, "Fuck you, Jason Lake. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about." One day, I'll let him know. Let him know that Jason Link was, was giving the rundown on it. But I think when Sturgill was with was, was Sunday Valley, he played the guitar, yeah. electric guitar jam band. Yeah. Then, uh, if I'm correct, Mark Dator, the manager for Marty Stewart, met Sturgill. Mm. And then those two came together and then advised him, maybe not advised, maybe he did it on his own, but he put down the electric guitar and he did this whole very country, high-top mountain thing. Right. Right and which the audience love because around 2013 2014 Florida Georgia Line is hitting right all these other things are going on so they really crave that then he moves into that next phase a little step up with turtles that what is the album meta-modern, meta 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 modern sounds i can't even say it meta modern sounds of country music yeah and it's a little more loose a little more colorful yeah. has the you know the references of the books he's reading Cut and,
1: live, cut live in three days after they toured for a whole year.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think if I'm correct, because I think it was studio musicians on High Top Mountain, I think it was his band. Yes. On Metamodern. Now I can finally say it, Daniel. Of Metamodern. <laughs> Modern.
1: They actually right. fuck with that phrase on the intro track of that record. They kind of make fun of how hard it is to say.
0: And it's and it's a it's a steal from Ray Charles, I believe. From Modern <laughs> Sounds of country music. Yeah. I love that record. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think Sturgill liked that record a lot better, I believe, from the interviews I've read than Hot Top. I love Hot Top too, but it was more slick. It was more
1: polished. polished. Isn't it funny how it's not necessarily your job to be the most polished artist, even if you have the ability to be polished. It's hmm. not like Sturgill can't deliver a perfect vocal take and then layer it on and make sure it's perfectly compressed and then EQ'd. But that was not the thing for him.
0: I think it's funny how, if you really think about it, what a producer can do to you, the artist, because it's kind of like the Willie Nelson effect. Like, and I love Willie stuff from the early '60s. You know, when it has the strings and all the full Chet Atkins deal on it. Mm, Yes, right. But it takes going 50 years almost for people to appreciate it, because if you if you looked at Willie in '73, probably. You know, they were looking say, oh, dude, five years ago, your stuff oh, it wasn't hidden. Uh, you're not coming across. Blah, blah. So you've got to go the entire lifespan for a brand new generation of, of people to wow. really look at the history and look back at it and appreciate it. That's why I kind of embrace like my records, because I, I don't think I've really ever found that guy, that producer that really can. You know, dial me in the way I I, I really envision it. I'm still working on that. To be that's honest. a
1: real thing. That's a very yeah. real thing.
0: And for so long, I tried to like say, "Oh, should I recut these songs from this record because it sounds so rock and roll and pop?" And should I do this from country? But then I looked at Willie Nelson's history and I go, "No, he just he left everything as it was. It just keeps you know moving in the journey. You know what I mean? Because Willie Willie's one of those guys I really admire because he's not you know on this side of the fence of country music or this side. He really doesn't do that. He, he did
1: just, a reggae album.
0: Right. There you go. He kind of loves everybody. And that's kind of me because I don't really like to... Um, I'm not that guy that wants to settle down on hardcore country me and be like, oh, I hate everybody that's ever in the zone of you know, mainstream country and then yeah. vice versa. I think that's a bad... I think it's a polluted thought, in my opinion.
1: It's antiquated,
0: too. Yeah, it's like ice cream. Why the fuck would we want to get rid of chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream and only have vanilla? It just... Right. <laughs> so it's like it doesn't make sense if we just do our art. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we just and we love people.
1: There's more of everything now. There's more ice cream than there's ever been. There's almond. There's avocado. Mm. Um, there's everything. There's so many mediums in which. There's cashew ice cream. There's froyo. Yeah. Right? It's, it's absurd. And the same thing is with music. Because there's more genres than there's ever been, and there's more listeners that don't even know what the concept of a genre
0: is. Yeah, yeah, it's I
1: unbelievable. I wonder where, it, but you do see the you, you do see the us versus them manifest in like a political sphere, but like musically, there's not that com- that competitive. Oh fuck that side, which is yeah, kind of nice I- thing.
0: I think the artists do it less than the media. I think the artists do it less than the journalists and and things. And that you know, I understand why they do it because they need a they have to have a side to generate you know the publicity to do it. You know, so yeah. the hardcore country people have to you know have that side. I'm saying the writers, the the publicists and things like that it, to to make the other side. And they kind of help each other by doing this thing. Yes. But somebody like Willie has just always, to me, the, the essence of him and the essence of what I hope to accomplish is love. I, I love everybody. I love to see people that are doing, like, like for, I'll give you, I love Sam Hunt. I think he's, I like his music. I dig it. But I think he's, that's what he is. You know, I, I, I think that's what he likes to do. And I love Sturgill Simpson. I think that's what he likes to do. I you saw
1: know? Sam Hunt once at uh, Whole Foods and, uh, um,
0: Trying I to keep thought, body.
1: <laughs> he looked great, you know, he's tall handsome dude. Yeah. And I saw him take a sample and then put it back. And that freaked me out. Oh God. I'm yeah, like, man.
0: That freaks me out a bit too, you know. Why would
1: from the olive bar, straight up from the olive bar, took an olive, put it back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man, man.
1: <laughs> you're, you're, okay, one, you're one that's multi-platinum that's song too deep into this game to be doing that.
0: He's off my list now. You know what I mean? But I I, I can't say anything because I'm notorious. My, my wife would kill me if I did that. But um, <laughs> yeah, she would kill me. But I, I am notoriously <laughs> frugal myself. I mean, you know what I mean? The good thing for me is I don't even like olives. So you won't ever see me doing that. At-
1: <laughs> All right. what? I guess, man. There's nothing frugal maybe tomatoes, about me.
0: Maybe cherry tomatoes. You'll see. Oh, my God. I can't believe my brother Jason Link just did that. He's ah. taking data and putting them back in the, especially now during the pandemic, that would just be horrendous. That would be. Terrible.
1: Oh God. In hindsight, that's treason, sir. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, that is absolute treason. I wonder what the sample bar, uh, future of, of how that all is going to happen moving forward. There's surely there's no way.
0: I don't know, man. I think we're in that moment where like, but, but can you imagine in 1918 or whatever time it was when, when the flu was going on? I mean, probably everyone at that time too Thought that it was, life was going to be that way for the rest of the the sure. existence, you know what I mean? No. So I think it. I think it'll roll back through. I hope. I He yeah. said, "Watch next year. I'm doing a podcast with you, and I'm like completely wrapped up because I don't need anything going through the screen and like <laughs> affecting you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I yeah. hope it goes.
1: I'm sure you're seeing a change though, where you're performing all the time. I'm sure you're seeing more people come out.
0: Yeah, yeah, dude. I have a a weird thing because, like, it's so funny to me. I joke because, as an artist, we've talked about this. We have our goals and what we believe we need to be, and and this thing that we set for ourselves and society sets for ourselves. Right. And so, right. when I I left Nashville, I'm, I'm this is going to be a long winded answer, but let
1: No, this is the medium for it. Let's go.
0: When I left Nashville, dude. I, all I wanted was a, a, the, a record deal and, you know, to be on the radio and blah, 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 blah. And all my life, since I was five years old, I've played music every week. Since I was, you know, 18, 17, 16, I've played five nights a week, six nights a week. And when I got to Florida, I went through a spell where I didn't play uh, maybe three years. What'd you do? Dude, I struggled. I really <gasps> Uh, you know, and, I'm, and I'm, sure. a guy, I'm a guy that has a smile that, that you know, you, you see the smile, so you think it's okay. But I really, really, really struggle because I was so ingrained in, you know, I, I, left, I left Nashville because of, obviously, my lady and da-da-da, but I wanted to be back in Nashville, right? You thought so, you wanted to be. Right. Well, I thought I wanted to be, correct, but I thought I needed to be from my music career. And I thought, you know, uh, we I had this this back and forth with my lady several times because of course she's from Brazil and doesn't understand the same concept, you know, and goes, oh, if you're good, you can make it from anywhere and yada, yada, yada. And I go, no, 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 that's not why Blake Shelton and Brad Paisley and everybody moves to Nashville. That's the central location.
1: There is one city where country music business happens. And it's- Right,
0: it's- right, right. right. And I, I went through this and, and dude, I, I, I started working In in my Bruce Wayne job that I have now and had for years. And dude, that, that moment really caused me to look at my music in an entirely different way. And as a blessing, because for so long when I was playing at legends corner, crossroads stage, all these bars, I'm thinking about being bigger, right? All bars down
1: on the lower Broadway for everyone who doesn't know. Yeah. The epicenter of tourism. You were down there on the weekends. Yeah. So I was, prime time selling more alcohol than those bars ever sold prior to, prior to you playing.
0: Yeah. I, I and, and dude, I, but I, I was in that moment really wanting to be, you know, like I look at the guys, like whoever was on the radio at the time, I don't even remember, but I'm like, oh, Jared I want to. That's like right when Chief came out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so at the that time, that's all I'm focused on. That's all I'm thinking about. But when I took that two to three year break, although at the time it was like gut wrenching because it, it showed me how much of myself is related to my music, like my, my self-esteem. We don't realize when, when you take the thing that you, that encompasses you away, yes. right. And you don't do it. Then you really have to to find yourself if that makes any sense at all. Right. So like, it's like you playing the guitar and being the artist. If, if for three years you take it, can you strip it away. Then you got to really look inside. And my lady said something amazing to me. She goes, you know, if you're, if you become talented in something else, it doesn't take away your musical ability. If do you think that's true? Yeah, I do. For so long, I was afraid to do something else like to have, a job, to do whatever, because I thought that would take away from my me being an artist. But it doesn't. If we look at Gary V and we look at other people, entrepreneurs, they do a multitude of things. And if you really look at artists now, that's the, the artists that get going, have a shoe line, they have a merch line, they have a this line, they have a that line. They're really doing that. But you gotta you gotta get even more confident because I was always a confident guy on stage. I've always been a confident guy, whatever that means. But I was I was really depressed because I was wanting to be in Nashville with with you or with everybody else playing like I've always been playing and striving and trying to be in the writers' rooms and trying to get somewhere. Yeah. But when I started looking at other artists. And I started thinking in a different realm and I started looking at entrepreneurs. I said, wait a minute, what the fuck am I doing? I'm just so focused on going back to Nashville, but why? Because uh, look at Jimmy fucking Buffett. (laughs) Right. Right. Look at, look at Willie Nelson who went to Austin, who moved to Austin. He was in Nashville. George Strait.
1: Never, never lived in Nashville. Never did anything. Only came there to record.
0: And I love Nashville. I really do, man. I I love Nashville and it's like, I always say, I wish I could be like three or four people. Like I, I wish I could be in Virginia in my home all the time with my family. I wish I could be in Florida, you know, where my, and I wish I could be in Nashville with you. You know what I'm saying? But you can't. And so you have to learn to kind of swerve and curve if that makes any sense.
1: So finding success in a field that was not music, especially for a guy like you, that to me is, a, that, that had to have been a challenge.
0: Mm, F- especially
1: finding external success, because it sounds like what you're saying is something kind of like, like into what Gary Vee says, what Jeff Bezos says, and a lot of successful people, which is to to put most of the equity of your self-worth in the external is failing yourself. Yeah, You have to have that internal stride. You, ha- you have to have that internal um, good relationship with your internal audience. And it sounds like those three years helped you kind of cultivate that to make that happen.
0: Yeah, it, well, it's funny. It did because the wow. move uh, in 2013. Uh, okay, so I left Nashville. Uh, and, and then I was determined to still be doing it the Nashville way. And so I, I ended up, we're talking, now we're, we're flipping back to Sturgill a bit with the music, you know, and how it can be uh, such a slippery slope. Right, and I started talking to this agent in Nashville, who I won't name because I won't call him out. I won't be bad like that. But oh, <laughs> he goes, "Yes, I'll send you out on tour for a retainer," and that's bullshit. Always, anyway, That's always bullshit. Right, but but I was so desperate to play, I go, "Okay, I'll do that." And so I'll never forget. I did a run from um, uh, from Florida to Cherokee, playing at uh Harris. Where, where's that's Cherokee? Cherokee, North Carolina. Oh my
1: God.
0: Yeah. And I I had to play that night. And then the next morning I was routed to play in my hometown. And then I had another show in Kings, North Carolina that night. And I remember I drove the whole way with my lady. And I sent the sent the band in my in the the van ahead of me. And dude, so I drive 12 hours, then I play, I go straight on stage, then I don't sleep. Then I drive to the next show at 12 in the morning. Yeah, Yeah, routing was horrible. Then I, I drive again to the another one. And, dude, I was exhausted. I was like, yeah what the f- this, this is so stupid. This is not even a way to build a fan base. This is just, like, killing me. Why would I do this? You know right. what I mean? like yeah. And so I get back to Florida. And then, like, the next week, and, you know, in Nashville, how we call everybody, we call all these musicians that we've never met. And we're like, hey, I got a show, and can you play? And everybody can play. Everyone knows the number system. So I found these guys off of Craigslist. Man in florida right i can't make this up you know me i'm wild as hell and i had this one guy that i call general chow right this awesome chinese bass player he's amazing right it's amazing he loves me right <laughs> i can't make it up man and so i, I take general chow and these two other guys man. and we're headed to a, a gig in hilton head <laughs> and before in hilton Head. do you remember the venue i don't i don't remember the venue but i my lady in and, and general chow asked me before we leave, hey, do you think the vans are okay? And I go, oh, yeah, of course they are. And, dude, I've traveled all over, and they've been fine. But, you know, it was one of those, like, beautiful moments when they say something to me, yep. and it actually happens. And we get to St. Augustine, Florida, and the van breaks down. Of course not. Right. Of, of course But right. And so then the, the guys that are with me, God bless their hearts, because they don't know me at all. You know what I'm saying? But they tell my lady that they don't want to go to the show. They want to go back home to Orlando. Right. And so they come to me and they tell me, you know, the gig is that night and they go, hey, we don't want to go. And, you know, of course, in all my bravado and stuff, I go, fine, go, go back to Orlando, whatever. So I rent a U-Haul for General Chow to drop all the band equipment back to Orlando. And then me and my lady, I tell the guy at the venue what's going on, it's supposed to be a full band. And I say, hey, dude, I don't think I can make it. He says, come anyways, come anyways, come anyways. You know, so I said, okay, all right. So I get there way past the time of the performance and play an acoustic show, just like the guy asked me what, what the fucking guy didn't tell me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Was when I get done, he had to be $200. Right. right. For all of us, so dude, like instead of whatever I was supposed to make, $4,000, 3500 whatever that it was that the band was supposed to make. So I essentially lost a bunch of money, you know, doing this when uh, it should have just been canceled out. And when I got back from that, I, I was so dismayed from it. I said, you know what? What am I, this is not the way. Yeah. This is idiotic. Right. But And, and we as musicians, Psychologically, we're we believe that is the way. Getting out in the, out on the road, building the fan base, you know, playing club to club to club to club to club, and
1: which it can be the way ra- the, the way if, if the um
0: if done right,
1: if done right, right,
0: if done right. But the, the thing that I find so sad is that so many musicians that are talented get sucked into this wanting to make it thing, and they'll they'll get with these guys that'll take advantage of them, and you know, like the retainer thing, and <laughs> they'll just lose everything trying to do something that they think they need to do to get somewhere,
1: right?
0: right? So I, I, I go back home in the end of 2013, and Jay Taylor, our buddy, of course. <laughs> the man. It tells me about this job of, of selling uh, real estate, timeshare, whatever that is. I go. Oh my God, okay, because he did it in Nashville, and I go, I get the job right the day I get the job. I can't make this up. I almost cut off my finger. Right, if you look really close right here, there's a huge, huge gash. Yeah,
1: whoa, it's deep on it, sir. That is
0: on, on finger. Right. So the day I get the job, man, I'm I'm doing dishes and I drop a plate. Oh. it bounces back up. Remember that I told you that, Daniel, never do dishes and drop a plate. I dropped the plate, came back up, sliced my hand. It looked like something from a Will Ferrell movie, man. Blood's going everywhere, squirting all over my walls. <laughs> I never forget driving myself to an urgent care on this day. And and I get in there, I'm freaking out as a guitar player, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Right. About to Django Reinhardt this bitch, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I get in there and the nurses say, calm down, calm down. And they close the curtain and I hear them on the other side of the curtain go, it's really bad. Oh my God. Right. right. And I swing the curtain open, dude. And I'm like, am I going to lose my fucking finger? (laughs) (laughs) And i never forget the doctor came in, man. He was this awesome doctor. And like, I was going through so much, like it was a bigger picture because I was going through a lot at this moment. He was like very spiritual. he said, calm down, brother, calm down. I got you. And he sewed me up, man. And he sewed my finger up. He said, "You're going to be okay."
1: Oh right. my God!
0: Yeah. And at that moment in 2013, in this little four month period, like everything was happening. I was getting like I remember my trailer was getting towed every month from my condo, like every other month because I wasn't supposed to be parked there. And and that's when my mindset really started to change because. How I was so? being, well, I was really. I've always been a positive guy, but I, during this period, I was. I was not negative to anybody outwardly, but internally we can be negative, right? Internally, we can be very negative. That's where so
1: negativity always starts is on the internal.
0: Okay. So I started just I said, okay, I'm gonna mentally refocus and stop thinking that all these things are gonna happen and and not freak out and panic and yada yada yada. And, and for, for me at this time, it was very difficult because you know I have my daughter in virginia whom i'm trying to balance and my mom and my granny these were you had your daughter i was 17. oh my god <laughs> you were a child yeah yeah and, and see, that's that's another reason like one of the most difficult things is you know i left virginia and in in it was very hard because i i've got this dream of making it in nashville and you know i'm a young guy And I know, and I feel like I need to go, you know, in order to make something of myself. Right. But of course, leaving my daughter is a very difficult thing because it's not the same as, you know, of course we talk and, you know, I fly back home and stuff, but it's not the same as being around every day. Of course. You know what I mean? It's a big, big thing, on a, a big sacrifice. And that was another reason when I left Nashville for Florida, it's like this big guilt on me as well, because... Oh God, I'm coming to Nashville to make it. You know what I mean? Right. Now you're leaving Nashville having not made it quote unquote. Right. Right. And then it's like, and then it's like, you know what I mean? But at the same time, in a weird way, you know, I I wasn't able to fly home as much when I was in Nashville and drive in a, a strange way. When I got to Florida, I was able to do that more, you know, but still I can imagine on her end, it's very, it was difficult to, to take in, you know, and, and I try to always be empathetic of that, right? Because sometimes we look at our own journey, but we don't look at the other's journey with us, right? You know, and I think it's not easy. And I always have tried to be a great dad, but being a great dad, I can't be the greatest dad I could ever be if I was there every day with her.
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. Absolutely. Which
0: is, is, is bad because you know, of course, I'm taking care of her, taking care of financial things, doing all that talking, but it's just not the same. And so I, I feel almost a moral responsibility to get, to get my music going, whatever it was at that time, because of my daughter, because of the people that love me, because of people that believed in me. Right. At the same time, I'm falling apart internally, because none of this is happening in 2013, whatever that it is. Holy shit. Right, that's
1: lot yeah. to take in, man.
0: It is. You don't realize that it is, but it is. And then, so around early 2014, I, I take a trip to Br- my wife is Brazilian, as you know, uh, but but we'll circle we'll, <laughs> we'll that in a moment. But I will go to Brazil and I kind of stay there for a month, and I have you know no money, and I just kind of do a reset, and I'm just thinking about my life, and I get back, and that's great. Yeah, and I, I start working at this job, and I remember there was a great guy named Everett. He's a great friend of mine. And he was like the first one there. I'm, I'm now like the longest running one there, but he was the first one. It was some other guys, but he's like the original. And i never forget him saying, he's like, Jason, I know you do great at this, but my mind wasn't there. I was kind of going in, earning the paycheck, but I wasn't really trying to sell because my mind was on music, you know? And about six months of that, I saw him making money. And I go, wait a minute why the fuck am I not making as much money as he is? Why am I not selling as much? Right, 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 right. Because I'm a very competitive guy too, you know, like, but not in a, not in a Jake the snake way where I want to cut your legs out from under you. I'm just competitive. I want to be in the game. And then I started really efforting and started really doing well and became, you know, one of the top in the country at that. You know what I'm saying? And then this went on. I did nothing but play. I mean, but, but work doing this, and then my music slowly started to come back around, right? And I, I started playing some acoustic shows like just in Florida, you know, and, and, and getting back to basics. And for so long, I thought I needed a band because, you know, I was playing my telly and doing all that. But then when I started doing this other side, I go, wait a minute, this is amazing too. So sometimes we need to let the journey show us about ourselves, you know, because we're trying to Force what we are like in in Nashville you know I love Brad Paisley all these people and I and my uncle is a master guitar player as you know absolutely so I'm wanting to be a guitar player singer songwriter jam bander and and you know all these things and then when I, I started doing acoustic here in Florida too I go wait a minute I don't have to prove that I'm everything all the time
1: ah. Uh right
0: yeah i can just you know i can breathe a little bit right
1: who said that that's the fascinating thing i love to see in people which is like how much of our identity are we picking up from people telling us that that's what we should be
0: so much so much much of our identity we pick up for uh, from our, our our own thoughts of what we should be too like because my, my, since I was five years old, you know, my life has been music. My grandfather owned a radio station. He owned a dance hall. And so, and my whole family played music, all my uncles and my mom. And my grandpa and I, because I never knew my real dad till I was around 27, but we're super cool. My grandpa was my everything, my force, you know, kind of like Sam is, of course, with you. Yeah. And so, that he, it was almost like I felt this spirit. To carry on his legacy mm-hmm. and, and my family's legacy by going to Nashville and getting on the Grand Ole Opry and all this stuff, right? Being but the hero, right, right? But when I got to Florida, I actually had a cassette tape of my grandfather at the radio station that my aunt had given me. Oh come on! And he he said this comment at the radio station, and he said uh, the music. He was talking on the air, and he said the music goes with me. And it really hit me, dude, because I needed to hear that at the moment, because I was thinking the music needed to be in Nashville. Right. But then I was like, wait a minute, the music goes with me. Right. I am the talent. I am myself. You know, I can can create this whole thing. And then I thought about my granddad and what he created. He created his whole musical, you know, world in his town, at his radio station, at his dance hall. You know, I'm sure he would have loved to go going to Nashville and, you know, been Porter Wagner or, or Buck Owens or whatever the, the deal is. is that
1: the, those were the years that he was in business in the seventies. Right.
0: Yeah, no, it would have been earlier. It would have been my grandpa was born in '25, so it would have been wow. probably in the fifties And Hank Williams and Lefty Frizzell and those things. And wow. he was he oh, was wow. that good. You know, I'm not saying was writer wise Hank Williams. I'm just saying I, he had the look and the sound and all these things. But then I thought about it. I said, wait a minute, my grandpa would probably want me to build something for myself. He probably think that. Yeah, he wouldn't want me to be just a chug in the wheel because we we set these limits, like, and you know the business has changed so much now, like off of radio predominantly. Like, look at what you're doing, like Mm. Instagram. You're Mm. building a platform on Instagram and podcasting and Spotify and all these
1: things talk and and Facebook and YouTube all the socials right
0: right but but maybe maybe you might not feel to think this way because I'm older than you but I was so geared into the radio oh yeah absolutely right so it was really hard for me like my brother-in-law he's a like owns the CNN of Brazil. He's like a really intelligent guy. And he kept looking at me while we'd, we'd be drinking outside, chilling for family. and he'd be like, Jason, what the fuck are you doing? Stop worrying about going back to Nashville. Stop worrying about this. Stop worrying about that. Look what's going on on YouTube. Look what's going on this. You can do this. And I kept going, uh, no, 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 no. But he's really right. But I'm so ingrained in that old school mentality right, of right. playing in hockey tonk bars playing and, and, you know, doing that and then going and getting, you know, a publishing deal, then getting on the radio and da 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 da. The
1: publishing deal, getting a manager, getting a, right. And getting, getting a, getting a a deal, a Mm -hmm. record deal, likely a 360 deal that takes all of your touring income, all of your merchandise income, all of your fan club information. And you own none of it. And it's a, it's a, you thought you knew what was right.
0: You thought. And then what's so funny, man, is that literally I, um, I was doing in 20, like in 2014 and 15, oddly enough, I'm not playing any music, but I got yep. more record label meetings than I ever did. <laughs> it in Nashville. And he showed me another thing that taught me something like, cause I was meeting, you know, going back to flying to Nashville, meeting Warner brothers records, meeting these wow. people. It's so weird. I'm not even playing, but I'm trying to create, I'm emailing everybody. And it showed me also, it taught me how lazy I was in Nashville.
1: It's hard to have perspective
0: of what you should be doing a lot. Right. Of yeah, it's absolutely playing. To- I'm playing on Broadway and I'm doing this deal, but I really never, I never really, I, I did some writer's nights, of course, at some different places, but I wasn't really pounding the streets and knocking on doors and doing that stuff when I was in Nashville.
1: A lot of people think if you play in Nashville, play live, that that's all you need to do, but that's, that's not right because there, there are a lot of politically correct avenues and assets you need to build that are completely outside of performance Mm -hmm. that um, establish and and, and indicate quality in that field. And just playing down on Broadway is not it. Hence why both you and I, our careers kind of ended up for the better when we stopped spending so much time down there.
0: It's it's, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) In our own unique way. And sometimes the universe forces us to get off of there, you know?
1: It does, like a movie almost, like some weird simulation.
0: Right. So it's like... I didn't realize that until I started doing a different approach, which was email. I was emailing everybody in Nashville and of course, people talking to people and things. But I really had this aha moment when I went to Warner Brothers Records. I had like four meetings in a day or something. And I had this hockey agent that I, a great guy still to this day, had found me on Reverb Nation, oddly enough. And had set the, uh, he's an NHL agent and set these meetings up and all this stuff. And a great guy. But I went in there and I was meeting with these different people and I'm walking out of Warner Brothers Records, as I've told you this before, not on the podcast. And my lady pointed to all these artists that were on the Warner Brothers Records wall. And she goes, it'll never work for you. <laughs> Dude, my lady is like, she'll hit me with such like a, like a dagger. You know what I mean? Like, because what you want your lady to say is like, you did a great job. You blah, 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 <laughs> Right, right, but it wasn't that. She's always told me a real, you know, truthful line. And she goes, "You are too independent minded. You are too different. You will never work for you. You'll want to do your way. They won't let you do your way. You know, this is not the way for you." And at yep. the time, it was really, I was pissed. I'm like, Did that what? piss you off? Of course. Why not? <laughs> I'm leaving Warner Brothers Records, hoping that everything went well, and hoping I'm going to get signed and have a big old yeah you know, thing. But mm-hmm. enough this is kind of funny, man. There was a guy and, 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 I kind of knew at the time when I met them, you know, it's funny. Like I met another producer, a very big producer. And, and we talked, this is hilarious. Like the meeting was supposed to be 30 minutes. Who is the producer? It's Paul Worley. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The huge producer. Right. And, right. and, yeah.
0: and Lady Annabelle's producer and stuff. And we had a great meeting, dude. It was funny. Like, we talked for like it's supposed to go like thirty minutes. We talked for like an hour and a half.
1: Oh wow! Did y'all just meet at a, at a studio, or y'all meet in
0: public? At his, his studio, and I, I leave that meeting thinking, "Oh, this is incredible," you know. Like, and then oddly enough, I never really hear from Paul again. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. You think that went well. Yeah. I mean, because you go over and everything's nice, and then uh, with Scott Hendricks at Warner Brothers, mm. I, we we were really weren't. I'm not jiving or vibing, uh, but he was more reserved than Paul. And so I thought the meeting, you know, didn't really go well, but I ended up talking and staying in contact with him long after, you know, our meeting, you know what I'm saying? And right. So it goes to show you, sometimes you think, you know, the outcome of something, (laughs) right. And then it'll show you differently. And and at that time, I, I, you know, he was kind of hinting to me that it wasn't going to be a sign because I think they had just signed um, like William Michael Martin or somebody like that. Morgan, William Michael Morden, somebody.
1: William I Michael Morgan. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just really handsome. Yeah. Uh, sing, singer, songwriter guy. Yeah. Right.
0: But the funny part of that was... He not you. Not me at all. No, but usually, it's, no. it's hilarious because... I looked at that as a great lesson. I'm not putting, I don't want to put this, I'm not putting his career down, No, but I'm showing, I think he lasted there four or five years. Nothing really happened. He got released, you know, so that was almost like that showed me, wait a minute, Jason, what you want so bad. Look at that other guy. Handsome, as you just said, singer, songwriter, da, 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 da. And it showed me that sometimes, People can't see that unique energy that you're radiating, that, that, that your fan base ends up getting because anybody that's seen me live, they get it, man. They, yes. you know, they get it. They understand it.
1: It's right? a signature experience seeing you live. Like it is, it's, it's completely its own developed entity and its own proprietary emotion that happens singularly when you perform. Thank you. God, God bless. You. As you, God. you know, you know that's and it's in a man. What a fantastic coincidence in my life to, for the first time, to have played on stage with, with somebody who had such a control of the domain that is the dojo of stage. No. Mm. Yeah. Wow. you know, just not some bar band. There's so many bar bands down on Broadway and in Nashville, and then every major market and minor markets and C market as well. But it's like to you know, that's a real thing having having an identity as a performer, and that's something that. Spending all this time inside this whole year, I've realized where it's like Nashville sometimes will not even acknowledge an identity that you have mm. if it's not the uh, identity de jour. Mm. Yeah, And it's like your identity is still an identity all the same. And it's fully up to you. And it's your responsibility to fulfill the potential of whatever popularity that identity can achieve and cultivate mm. for people around you.
0: And you know what's so amazing, man? With you saying that, thank you, by the way. God bless you. That's always my goal, right? Yeah. And everything. But it's great to me to hear so many people write me on social media. Mm-hmm. They me would drive six, eight hours, 10 hours to see me at Legends Corner with you guys. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like rather than going to the Grand Ole Opry, they, they said that's what they drove for. That was the reason that they came. Oh. So then I really, went, right with this experience, I started really, I've always loved people. I love people. I love, I love, love people. I love everyone, right? But I really started to appreciate that sentiment. You know what I mean? And then I got to thinking, like in recent years, I go, those are the people that I make music for. I don't make music for in the industry for. you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm making music for those people. And I don't care if it's five people, 10 people, because... I put on the same show, whether I'm playing at the smallest one person, two person, three person party or 50 people, thousand, whatever that it is. It's the same show. It's the same energy. Right. And five people are just as important as 5000 people. Without- I, yes. We as a society and music as artists, the the industry has made us think because of their own you know, uh, monetary aspirations, that it's all about the number of people, right? But what it like, and I started thinking about this. This is hilarious. What if you had a fan base of 15,000 people and you knew almost everyone, not you keep hard to know everybody personally, 15,000 people when you think about that, but you right, had a much more intimate relationship with them than Kenny Chesney that has a bazillion people. Right. But you have no overhead. You have no tour buses. You have no managers to pay. Yeah. It's all in house. You do yourself. So you're doing your art your way. And then I said, why, What am I doing? Yeah. Like, why am I stressing about this? Why am I putting my own self through hell? Right. When I can, my fan base is already there. Uh-huh. I, I want to build them. Of course, I want to have more people, know more people. I always have that strive. But Sturgill, going back to him at the very beginning, really opened me up to that because it was almost what I was thinking happened out loud because he has no radio hits, of course. And he didn't want to have any radio hits because think about it. If you have a radio hit and then what happens? Nothing happens on the second or third when your your label drops you, you know this.
1: And then everyone likes you for who that character was on that one single. And that's likely not who you are if you're writing something that's suited for industry. Exactly. Totally intention,
0: Sturgill or Mark or whoever his team was, the paradigm, whatever it was, designed his career so he would never have to depend on a hit.
1: And that's the way to win, my friend.
0: Right. So he'll never be out of style because he never had a fucking hit in the first place. He had an album. He had albums and he had tours. And wow. all his publicity was geared towards Rolling Stone, towards late night television, nothing on radio. That's where they spent all their money. And I think now, Sturgill, just after he built that, I think he was probably plotting and planning that whole time that was happening and riding with the system. But probably because he's such a rebellious guy in his nature and he doesn't like to be taken advantage of, he mm-hmm. probably was saying, Okay, I'm going to let, you, I'm going to ride with you guys in this. Mm-hmm. And then after I build my fan base, I'm going to do exactly what the fuck I want to do with them. <laughs> That's what he's doing right now. I mean, if you really, you know, I don't even think he has a manager anymore. I could be wrong, but I don't think he, he has fired that. his managers. Yeah, because he didn't want to do what... Because you get in the game, even at his... I mean, not at his level. He's very successful. But then you still... And, and these people are not... I don't look at the industry people as assholes because I look at them at, at the same way with me. Like, I have a family. I have a daughter. And they're trying to make money to get paid to feed their family, and if you really think about what everybody does, it's for the same thing. The record executives are trying right. to feed their family. They're trying to eat, yes. you know, and they don't want to sign somebody and take a risk and lose their job because it's more like sales, and that that leads you into studying country music. Like, I'm, I'm a somewhat of a country music historian. I love to study, and Nashville wasn't, as you know, wasn't always the epicenter. Nashville, at one time, didn't even want to be known for country music. Of course right? It was a Louisiana hayride. Uh, Really, country music originated in Virginia with the Carter family, you know, with Jimmy Rogers, Bristol, all these things, you know, that was a big epicenter. Chet Atkins playing with Carter, I believe the Carter family, I could be wrong.
1: Oh, and played with Hank Williams as well. It's funny how Chet Atkins kind of turned all that around, you know?
0: Yeah, and then if you study like why the Country Music Association was created, because there was a dip in sales in, in hillbilly and country music when rock and roll in the 50s emerged, Oh. And then country music was trying to figure out a way uh, to compete with that. That's why the CRS country uh, country music radio came came together and created the organization oh, so my. they could produce more sales. They started with I forget the you know, couple hundred radio stations. And now today they have a couple thousand, whatever that it is. But they did that in a retort to figure out how to compete with rock and roll right? in, in regards to po- popularity and sales thereof, in making money, and so. My sales job taught me to look at it like they look at it. You see, what I'm saying like, oh, okay, I see why they're doing this, right? So now I kind of can see, oh, I get why you know the artist wants to do their own unique thing and their what they're trying to do, and I get why the radio stations and labels and all these people with all are trying to make money, right? That doesn't mean everybody's trying to make money for the most, the greatest reason in the world. You know what I'm saying? But I I understand the thought behind it. And then in understanding that, then as an artist, which I'm really wanting in my next couple, several years uh, to show young artists this, like I look at you. I always talk about you and I go, I I admire you so much. Thanks. I tell people all the time because you always stayed the course. and, And, you know, you're something in Nashville I'm very proud of, you know, because of your ability. And because of how you're building your career, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So if, if the artist just looks at their fan base, not as a number, right. And they look at, at their music career as a small business, right? Like, and they don't look at themselves having to be Walmart or Amazon, so to speak, to be something, to be considered something to themselves, Right. Then they can do really, 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 really well, you know, and like I'm getting ready to launch a course coming up before long, to, you know, teaching, talking about this, how to play, you know, 400 shows when you're not in a major music market a year and yada, yada. And one of the things is, is, is you hear everybody say how to leave a job, you know, how to stop working a job and play music full time. You see all these courses teaching this and trying to show this. But I have the exact opposite thought. Find a job. Get a job that works with your music, right? right? Take that job's earnings and put it into your music career to grow your music. Right. You see what I'm saying? But sometimes us musicians, we're a little bit lazy. We want somebody to sign us and pay us to do this. But if you look at it in the house and go, wait a minute, you have all the tools now. You can build a worldwide brand from a fucking MacBook and iPhone. Oh, man. Oh, my God, man. What do you you really need? I mean, uh, you can make an album. I believe Billie Eilish made the album with her producer in the Eilish, whatever her name is, in the in the bedroom. Yeah, they
1: they really did, man. They they really did, and that is, you know, one of the major changes that will forever be known.
0: Right. So, why do you? I'm not saying a label's not needed. It it depends on your artist trajectory, because I, I don't, I don't hate, I don't hate on the guy, like somebody like John Party, who I think is great. Awesome. Yeah. He got signed. He's around my age. He got signed. He he met somebody in Nashville that loved what he was doing. And he's on that path and he's going to be like the next, not George Strait, but he might be a generations, this generations kind of George Strait sort of thing.
1: Whatever that means. Right. Because like in a monetary sense, in a sales figure sense, you never have that
0: right now. Right. And, And, but, and you know, what's funny, it's like, the artists that I really admire weren't doing that anyways, like Johnny Cash. I admire Johnny Cash for for his treatment of people, for his his writing of, you know, showcasing people that other people look down upon that because I again, I like I said, I love all people mm-hmm. and I feel like I, I hate this this thing in society where, oh, if you have a Lamborghini and you have this, you have this, you're better than this person that has this. I find it to be complete bullshit. I always say to my friends, you know, if the world was ending and and you didn't, would you choose the CEO to be with if he had no money or the homeless guy, the homeless guy would, would better know how to navigate life on a daily Mm basis. In terms of,
1: yeah, that's a, Man, what Johnny Cash did, I mean, live from Folsom Prison, live from San Quentin, live from Folsom Prison outsold the Beatles that year. Wow. Number one. And his label either was not behind
0: it. He's either my favorite band of all time. I didn't know that piece of history and knowledge. Wow, that's incredible.
1: He's wow. truly a hero. Like truly is, was a hero. And wow, it's crazy true. to think about. You hear like on San Quentin, the Carter family come in and sing his songs. And it's like how his whole adoration he had for the Carter family and how it was this kind of like like a proverbial lighthouse in his life, Mm. you know, hearing them on the radio when he was a kid, not even playing music at the time. And then to see it all add up in the end to what was almost like a movie.
0: And you know what's so strange, man? It's like Johnny Cash knew from the beginning, I feel, you know, he had that darkness in him from losing his brother. Also his first wife, Vivian, who really didn't want him to play music. And you know, in a in a different way. I didn't have that with my lady, but you know, she of course was resistant because she doesn't know this world, she's not in this world, you know, she's from a different country. And she looks and goes, you know, what is this? Is this a life? Because we have to look at what her goals are too and be fair, you know what I mean, and saying what she has a goal of being and a kind of life. And it's that really like, okay, prove that this works. And I'll never forget my brother-in-law saying. Jason, nobody really believes anything until you show them that it's working.
1: That's the realest thing.
0: Right. If you show them that, it because when you say you have the plan and then they're looking at the plan, you spiritually may know the plan and Johnny Cash knew the plan. And like when I look at somebody that I like Willie Nelson, yes. who I believe brought people together. Oh, wow. He truly did. Wow. I joke that you, I like. Now I have to put you in this too, but I'm the only outlaw besides Willie Nelson that smiles. <laughs>
1: oh. yeah.
0: He's the only one. Waylon, Hank, all these people never smile. But Willie, if you notice on his album covers, always got a big smile. Uh, he's a very high he's fuck. Very distant kind of guy, yeah. you know. Like, and, and then I started, you know, gravitating more towards that. And also with doing these meetings in Nashville, and I'm skipping around a little bit in our talk. I'm sorry, but like in doing this, like I started to embrace the things more that I already was doing on stage. Right. Because I'll never forget that I played one of these shows and I kicked ass. I kicked ass. Like I always do. Forgive me, but I'll never forget the the booking agent guy. The payola guy was like, Oh, watch this band. They don't talk as much on the microphone. Yada, 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 yada. Right. And I watched, And I waited and I've watched years now and I'm not saying anything bad about them, but I don't see them doing really anything. You know what I I mean? I
1: love that. I think about that all the time.
0: Right. So I go, okay. And so I, I'm at a period now where I embrace what I want to do even more. A hundred percent, sir. I want to freestyle every song I do. I go, you know, that's so, and if people don't get it, then they don't get it. And the ones that there's way more that do get it than don't get it.
1: I mean, that's what you Bob says, man. I mean, that's a, if, if I'm going to do what I do. And if you don't like it, that's
0: fine. I'm going to go right. up here and find people who do. You got, and that, when you get to that point, and then I noticed the universe. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, started in, I mean, I never had this thing where people, people have always been great to me with me playing music always, right? But I noticed the universe started embracing more just what I was doing. You know, and people like, and really overwhelmed by what I'm doing when I'm trying to go, Oh my God, this, this freestyle thing that you're doing and the way you talk on the microphone and yada, yada, yada. So if you just keep on your path, even if no one understands it, I believe eventually the universe is going to notice is going to see. And that's like from the beginning, I was, we talk about vocals a little bit. You and I have a little bit of this in common is that, you know, I was playing, I started playing drums when I was five. That was my first instrument. Oh man. I played drums all my life. My uncle, right? <laughs> right. But I played and I noticed my uncle Marty when he would come to Club 301, which was my granddad's dance hall. Cause he didn't come very often. My, I was with my mom and my other uncles that was on steel guitar, my grandfather. But my uncle would come and, and he was a master guitar player and a great fiddle player. And he would get a lot of attention. And I was sitting watching back and playing the drums, seeing this. And I go, wow, I need to do that. And then I saw my grandpa, who was the master entertainer, because he wasn't, I mean, he was, he had a unique style.
1: What's a master like, entertainer do?
0: Knows how to move an audience. And what know, is that? Knowing how to move your audience is knowing how to bring them together. There, I, like sometimes I go and I see great musicians Oh, yeah. They're up on stage and they're master musicians, but the audience isn't connected.
1: What do you think that is? And how does, I, how does one go and connect them?
0: I think there's a big, big difference between a, being an entertainer and being a musician. Huge difference. And I think the perfect pie piece for me is when I have that night of playing, when I, when I showcase my musicality, my, my guitar skills, my singing skills, my songwriting and my entertaining, right? Because sometimes we can lean over to, you know, what is our best side, so to speak. For example, I think the reason my uncle Marty was always, my uncle's not a uh, entertaining, he's a very entertaining guy talking to him. He's not a loud, but boisterous kind of guy like me or my grandfather. My grandpa was loud and not like me in the Ric Flair sort of sense, but I think the reason my uncle was so hard on me maybe in my teenage years mm. was because he always knew I had the, he saw that I had the entertaining thing to fall back on. Mm, right. So right. he wanted to raise the musical part up to where the entertaining part was. Maybe I'm just guessing. Right. So you're asking me where, how, how I think it is. I, I, I think everybody in the world, like we're like the animal kingdom. Everybody has their unique place. There's going to be virtuoso guitar players. There's going to be entertainers. There's going to be this, like my lady, you know, we were talking about this. She'll tell me to my face. She prefers to hear somebody quiet in their place playing song to song to song to song to song. Uh-huh. Right? There's a tell Yeah. And
1: there's but, a lot of great people who do that that are wildly successful. By the amazing. Way. Yeah. And
0: um, I, I, I am not that way. I'm a guy that's going to be talking. I'm going to be connecting with my crowd. You're improvising so much when you're on stage. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And I I think a little bit of that is the rebellious nature of me because I when I first started playing with my uncle in the first years he didn't let me talk <laughs> <laughs> right he didn't let me, I wasn't allowed to speak I didn't speak on stage I just sung. he pointed to me and I sang oh, and when wow. I moved, right when I moved to Nashville I could do what I wanted to do you So know? you're telling
1: me when you moved to Nashville that's when you first started talking on the mic
0: yeah.
1: So you have just had it in you to talk on the mic always. Yeah, always. Have you failed monstrously ever while talking on
0: the mic? Never. Never Never failed. That sounds.
1: No, no, no. no. You've never fucked up. You've never said anything wrong.
0: No, because I don't, dude. There's something, and and you know, I think that that I. This is going to be really weird, man. What I'm about to tell you.
1: All right let's let's hear it. This is great.
0: I feel. I was born. I know this is gonna say this is gonna be really fucking crazy, but uh-huh. my mom put me in my uncle's bass drum when I was a baby on Saturday nights. I was in there. I laid in the bass drum and slept. Uh-huh. Right, and this really fucking I, right, you know. And of course, he was hitting the thing hard. I mean, it's a country band, but you know, like I would sleep. And I think because I was always on stage, I felt I there's no. There's not a place in the universe that I feel more comfortable at than when I'm on stage. And I started working on DJing on my grandpa's radio station as Scoot Scoot when I was five. So I was talking when I was five years old to an audience, right? But I went through a period when I didn't talk because my uncle, you know, I'm going out with him and it's his thing and he's older. And, I'm, you know, he's like a mentor to me and I respect him immensely. So I'm going to do what he says for me to do. You know, and he he says, hey, you're going to sing. I'm going to point to you. You're going to sing the song. And at the time, I didn't get it. But and sometimes he would be hard on me. Like, I would think I did a great job entertaining because I could go from song to song to song to song to song. And then there'd be some nights where he wouldn't even let me sing. And I'm like, what in the world? And I'm just over there playing. And then there'd be some nights when I'd be sick, like like, a sore throat and all that. And he'd point to me and make me sing a lot. And I look at it now, I think he was just giving me like, making me really like tough, cause I don't need monitors. I don't need anything. I, I'm, I can just get and go, you know what I mean? Like, oh, man. yeah, I don't need all that kind of, right. I know that sounds insane, but like when I played at my grandpa's club, we didn't have monitors. We, we just used the PA pointed out.
1: That's the realist. That's how Buck Owens learned to sing.
0: Right. So, <laughs> I, I, and I also learned how to get loud because I can sing really loud because of that projection needed to, yeah. I believe, you know? So yeah, when I got to Nashville, that's when I got on the microphone and I never had a moment where I didn't feel, I, I actually was like, it was like a, you know, like when you've kept something inside yeah. for so long and you're just expunging it and expunging it and expunging it, but also in a weird way, and forgive me, we're allowed to go over, are we? I know we've been talking oh. about-
1: it's a podcast. Yeah. We're yeah we're
0: good. Well, we started at one. Okay. We're only an hour. Never mind. Um, but, dude, also because I had my daughter so young when I was 17, mm. and I dropped out of school. I dropped out of school when I was in 11th grade. My mom still jokes about it to this day. She goes, My God, I paid for private school all your life. And you <laughs> dropped out of school when you're. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. But I think because of that, dude. I never went to college and I never had like college, you know? So I think Nashville almost when I got to Nashville is almost like my college. Like, you know, Oh, I'm living and I'm like, Oh, I'm partying and having fun and doing whatever this says. You do know? You think
1: that is kind of, cause that is so different to how I've, how I've always looked at life, which was like, when, when do you, how do you justify taking two to three years of your life to kind of not own your responsibility? which is what so many people going to college subconsciously do. And you weren't doing that though. You were working your ass off and like doing shows and writing songs.
0: Yeah. You know, I was working my ass off. I was taking care of my daughter and all that, you know, always. But when I say that, I guess like I wasn't in Virginia anymore. Yeah. You know, and all my life I've lived on my farm with my family, which is a beautiful, I mean, it's the most sincere upbringing. Like, because my family raised tobacco and, and he, my grandpa owned a radio station and a dance hall. So all my life, all I ever did was work on the farm with my family. I didn't even know another music genre existed until I was 14 years old and saw the Beatles anthology come on CBS. I didn't know rock and roll existed. You just knew country. I, I, all I knew was country. <laughs> right. right. And then that led me, the Beatles, I became upset. My grandpa, who was a very he was super country and bluegrass, but he was the one that recommended I watch it. And I fell in love. And I mean, I felt because at the time I'm a drummer and I fell in love with Ringo Starr, his intensity, you know, it was like seeing like something amazing. And I went so deep into the Beatles, and then that led me into grunge music. Mm. And I was deep into grunge music, right? Yeah. And I stayed there probably for a few years until this 17-year-old period when I dropped out of school and I got. You know, I had my baby, and then I came back to country music, so to speak. And, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Yes. And so then when I, I I get to Nashville, what I mean by that is, I'm playing shows, I'm working my ass off. I was would play 12 hour days, you know. Oh yeah. Started, started playing all day. But I mean, I was I was out from under my. I was having fun. I was raising hell. I was sponsored by Fireball. I was oh. you. Know, and I never been a guy at home to be a drinker, like, or don't do drugs or anything. Like, I'm, I don't. I'm very boring. I fucking eat pizza and, and drink Sundrop or Coca-Cola. That's, like, my party. Like, that's okay. I'm a, yeah, that's my real, like, that's my lady true. always says this. She says I've got the world food because she says everybody thinks I'm the most exciting guy ever. Like, because when you see me at my shows and, like, I'm playing outwards, I'm very fun. I'm very outgoing. But at home, man, I'm very, like, super fucking boring.
1: I think that's real thing, man. I think that, that yin and yang to the yin and yang of self is a very real quality for people who have a public job.
0: Yes. Maybe and, and that probably is the reason. Like I, ver- I like being to myself. I love to read. I love to study. Um Are but you reading it, right? What are you reading right now? Dude, I'm oddly enough, I just got a Kindle. I didn't even know one existed. Again, I'm late to the party. I'm always man, late to the party, Daniel. We are
1: seven generations into the Kindle.
0: <laughs> I love that. Okay. So on the seventh generation, Jason Link found out what it was because uh, I did a course for Graffy, a banjo course. i then as I was telling you, oh yeah. sent me a hundred dollar Amazon gift card uh, as a, as a good gesture of love at the beginning to get going. And I said, okay. And uh, they said, Hey man, just use it. It's a gift from us. And so I said, I'm going to buy myself something because I don't normally buy myself things to be honest with you. Yeah, it's real. I'm not really a guy that likes a bunch of things. I know what I like and that's it. But I bought this Kindle, man, and so I downloaded um, this guy that was with the Outlaws. Um, He's doing doing like a history of the Outlaws of country music. Yeah. He was talking about uh, these these guys who I've never heard of, Jackson Taylor or somebody that was an Outlaw guy, 2011, 2012, and he was talking about his journey, then talking about Whitey Morgan and talking about Cody Jinks and these people, and going back, yeah, and kind of detailing their history a little bit. It's been an interesting read so far, but I love to read things on like Steve Jobs, um, Nelson Mandela, um, people like that. Muhammad Ali. I love to read biographies. I love to learn about people. Oh wow! Do yeah, you, are you into books at all, or you just read? Audio. I love to read. I can read. I can read a book easy, like in a couple of days, easy. Like wow. I get, when I obsess over it, because like everything I do is really obsessive. Like. Wrestling, I'm really obsessive over. Guitar playing, I'm really obsessive over, right? Music, I'm really obsessive over. And so I love to study people because I'm at a point in my life where I really want to learn all different facets of of people and what their journey was to success. And success isn't just monetarily. We think it is, right? We believe that, oh, we've got to get, you know, this many castles, this many cars, this many this. And I've been blessed to be around so many wealthy people that are great people. And I've, I've... I always say like the Dusty roads line, I've dined with kings and queens and I've ate pork and beans, right? But literally, yeah, right. I've dined with kings and queens and the kings and queens treat me amazing. Like, for example, like, you know, all the wealthy people, I, I know some very wealthy people and they treat me wonderful. But yeah. I always when I'm in that environment, I'm looking in that environment, I'm observing as that boy from Virginia that grew up on a tobacco farm. Right. And I'm seeing that these people are doing the same thing that we were doing. They're eating together. Right they're, you know, we, were, we, I didn't drink all my, my family doesn't drink. So we can drink at all, you know, but they're, they're being together. And I, that's a big goal of mine is to, to, to take that divide out. And also to make people realize like, why do you need these things? Like we, I have a brother of mine in sales and my sales job. I love him. He's a master. Him and I are like the, the two masters and we're totally different ways, mm. but he, really into like, you know, Mercedes and different things like this. And dude, I drive a fucking $2,000 Ford Fiesta. And that was my, that was my, <laughs> gift. that was my gift to myself. Right. It's like the, and it's, it shows up it makes an appearance in Will Ferrell's Eurovision on Netflix. You got to see this movie right now. It's hilarious, dude.
1: Uh, I haven't seen that now.
0: Yeah. So, um, I bought that this year as a gift to myself. Cause I've always had my vans. It, like uh, one was given to me. You know, get for my second mom another one I got for eight hundred dollars. And, dude, I, I, I think a lot of self-esteem is built when you when you embrace that. And I have a little line I joke around, like when people would, would joke with me because I love the fun and they go, why are you driving this fucking van? I go, well, you know what? I got here's the thought, brother. Any any man can get out with a BMW or Mercedes and a pretty lady gets out, right? But when you see a beautiful Brazilian woman, one of the most gorgeous you've ever seen, get out of a Ford Windstar van, you think, what the fuck? This <laughs> guy got some mojo. You know what I mean? Like... ah, <laughs> mojo Monday. Right. The mojo Monday, man. So like... I think a lot of self-esteem is built when you take all these external things that society says you need, these brands, these this. Like, for example, why is this coffee cup less expensive than that coffee cup when it serves the same purpose, which is you to drink coffee out of it? You know what I mean? Value. Right, perceived value. And, and I always look at that and I go, why? Like, if I took the emblem off the car, yeah. you didn't see the emblem, right. how would you know? You know what I mean? Right. And I ask, I'll go, what's the difference in your car and my car? Mine has a radio, air condition, four wheels, gets here, there. What is the difference? Like, there's no difference.
1: Yeah.
0: It, and we so, and I'm not saying that getting things are bad. I'm not trying to say that at all. But what I'm trying to say is when we look at it and believe that we need to do that to feel something inside of ourselves. Correct. Be yeah, because it, the, tr- it, the true joy is what we're doing right now. I
1: cannot agree more. I think that's the real, it's the, it's very Western in the sense of like, we think that if, first of all, we think we're going to arrive somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's a silly thing to put onto yourself to think you're going to arrive somewhere. That always puts the idea of succeeding somewhere. That's not in the present.
0: Right. Like the most joyful thing I'm, I'm, I'm seeing now is like, and, and the other exciting thing for me, I, I always go back to Willie because I love Willie so much. He's one of my heroes. For He
1: really days. is the man. He and is I can relate man. with
0: him a lot because his style of music is very similar to my grandpa's style. Club 301, my mom's piano playing with Sister Bobby. I can really relate to it a lot. But like Willie didn't make it until he was about 44, 43 years old. which three, one. Yeah. So I'm kind of excited that the journey's in front of me. Always is. I think, what if I had a winter to Nashville, had a number one, number two, number three, number 10 hit, got dropped, da da da, And then, oh, I feel like I'm nothing. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. Right. Who would have cheated anyway? You're, 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 there's, with your mentality, you're, you're going to succeed. Thank you. Brother. Got As me. you know, I'll pay you after this. Look, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you some, I'm giving you some Jets pizza gift cards. I'm sending them your way after the podcast. You know what I mean? You
1: know, when we would do lessons with Johnny Highland, they would always get Jets pizza. Yeah. I cannot dig that square pizza. I don't like that. You can't be
0: square. You sound like my lady right now. She's the same way. I always force her to get it when we go to Nashville. And I always stay at the same. It's hilarious, man. I always stay at the, the same um, hotel. It's funny. I went with this guy um, down here. Anyway, he went uh, up to a meeting in Nashville. And I took him to this extended stay at Hermitage, and he's like, "God, this is the seediest hotel I've ever been at, man. This is like, uh-huh. but I, I just <laughs> like for me, I love it. You know what I mean? Like, I love that that mentality, and so I'll go get a Jets pizza from the Hermitage Jets pizza. But like for me, those I embrace those things so much, and like this with you, like this is the real. Succeeding, yes. You know, this is the real succeeding—the community, the people, the togetherness. And if we take time to realize how important this is, because in a hundred years, nobody's going to fucking remember. They're going to be on their own ship because that generation is going to be thinking about their own deal, right? Oh like, yeah. Name me the top five country music artists of 1850,
1: right? Yeah, so. <laughs> come on, <laughs> right?
0: That's real, right? Or even 1950. Right. And at that time, you think music wasn't going on. Of course it was going on. But their their Spotify was in a different way. Like maybe it was in the town. Maybe there was, you know, them going around for a guitar or whatever that it was. And, and that's how they were known. Right. But we have this, this very selfish sense that time was created in the 1900s, which it wasn't, you know. And, and we we can sometimes be very short winded because so much has exploded in a hundred years, you know, with music, with technology, with all these things. And I'm, I'm, I'm really seeing that in a way right now, like where I'm seeing the artists of yesteryear, like, like Garth Brooks, for example. Okay. great. Right. Brooks is God, a master entertainer. I love there this.
1: is no one better at entertaining, yeah. uh, Especially in American culture, than Garth Brooks. I mean, and I'm not a Garth
0: fan. I'm not a Garth fan, but I, I see his entertaining so well. How oh, are you not a Garth fan? What? No, I'm not. I know that sounds horrible. I I'm not don't really get horrible. when people say that. I just don't get that. Right. you I'm know, f- you know what I am like. And when I say I'm not a fan, that means I'm not a fan of listening to his music, but I'm a fan of what he did. See, now that
1: that that is that is when you know that you have done your job right when people might not subscribe to the taste of it, but they recognize that it it is on the menu.
0: Yeah, because I am a guy, like, I'm much more geared to, like, you know, Hank Williams, the 70s. Oh, like Junior. Oh, yeah. Mickey Staggs, that kind of deal. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I'm more in that zone than I am really 90s country, even though I was working at the radio station in the 90s. But I was with my granddad so much, actually, my grandpa was like, he thought the 90s country at that time was too new.
1: Everyone you know? thinks that. That's how country music has always existed.
0: Right. So he was really exposing me to like Bean and like Hank Williams and oh, Bill the Stanley Brothers.
1: Opry, like Grand Ole Opry, a re- like an alma mater.
0: Yeah. Right. So I don't look at Alan Jackson the same way as I do like internally, even though maybe he is in sales and stuff as Willie Nelson or Hank Williams or Hank Jr. or right. Waylon Jennings or Johnny Cash. Those, I think I relate so much because in the 90s, again, we go back to the wrestling thing. Okay, I, I'm playing from nine to 12 with my granddad at the, the Honky Tonk Club one family dance hall. And then I'm going home and him and I are watching late night wrestling.
1: Oh my God, on tube televisions, right?
0: Right. And and that's what we're doing like 12.30 at night. So if you, I believe that Johnny Cash and Whaling and and Willie are much more care and David Allen Coe, their characters much more than Alan Jackson and Garth Brooks are.
1: Ah, dude, Garth Brooks is the character we're talking about. He jumps off things, that thing's on fire. He
0: does does in an entertaining way. In an entertaining way. You're
1: talking about almost in the sense of them being these proverbial, almost like, Characters that could have been in an HBO show.
0: Right. right. Uh, and almost in a, in a way, like, you know, you don't hear, and I'm not saying Garth hasn't done amazing things for humanity because he has. Really has. Right. But you don't, I don't think him the same way I think of Johnny Cash, with Johnny Cash not selling near as many records, right. but going to a prison and saying, and that's, that's what I'm saying about if we really look at the impact we can cause. Like your impact in a weird sense, if you think about it, can touch just as much as Taylor Swift's in a weird, weird, really strange way. Right. Or Sturgill Simpson, because Sturgill Simpson is nowhere near Taylor Swift in sales. Yeah, close. And she, right. But but in spirit, there's something in the spirit and that his I guarantee you, he's going to be remembered in 50 years in a big way.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't think, you know, the, the, and the thing that inspires those beings because they're simply just human beings, uh, Taylor Swift. You know, so her song had the highest stream on uh, numbers of day release than any other song in history. It was 98 million streams in one day. Absurd amount of, of people listening to it. But the spirit of inspiration doesn't know numbers. That's a human, that's a man cultivated asset. That isn't something that grows out of the ground. Streams. So it's like, as long as you're acting from a, a place that's inspired, the results that happen from it, the numbers, are, it should not be the first thing that you focus
0: on. And you know, I don't. I think she's a brilliant artist. I, I really think I like Taylor Swift a lot. But uh, her writing, all these things, Kanye. I love all these people like that. But this is what is funny as our, our society. And and I believe it was like this back in the '50s too, in a different way. But you say 98 million streams, and we don't even feel it anymore. No, you don't even feel it. You don't even think that that's you. Yeah, okay. Okay. And then you go look at your latest Instagram that's on Instagram and he has no screen. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to follow this guy. You see what I'm saying? Like, so it, that's something I like about, about what's going on in the world right now is that it's kind of taking the celebrity out of celebrity and, and shining the celebrity on celebrity because we're all celebrities. Every human being is a celebrity right? Think oh. about how many Hank Williams there have been across the universe that we never heard of, right? But they just didn't go on the Louisiana Hayride and they just didn't go to Nashville and they just didn't do this, right? Like my uncle is yeah. a great example. There's no one in Nashville, and I'm not, not being ugly, I'm just telling the truth because I've played with all the greatest guitar players, right? I That's with very real. You, Johnny Hyland. J.D. Uh, Samo, J.D. Samo, Mason. Right. Right. There's been nobody that that my uncle wouldn't be able to be right on stage, but he never went, never came, never did anything. Now, that's not a knock on the person in Nashville. Right. Not at all, because I love all the. But that's also not a knock on that. And I'm glad that there's a platform now, which is social media. Yeah. That now can shine light on people like Tyler Childers said, Tyler said, don't go to fucking Nashville. Yeah, but, no, you get said, stay where you're at. Stay where you're at. Sturgill said the same thing. He said, get in a van, tour, or whatever. And again, I love Nashville. I'm not knocking Nashville. And I have some great friends in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I love the industry. I love the community. Right. But I love, just like dropping out of school, I'm a huge proponent of like, everyone says don't drop out of school. And my lady gets so mad at me about this. She gets so mad because my lady is all school. She's got a master's degree, clinical psychologist, all these good things. She says, stay in school. And I say, look, maybe you don't have to stay in school, right? Because so long we've, we've been taught, Oh, this is what you need to do. You need to go to high school. Then you need to go to college. Then you need to get a job. And that's the only way you can do anything. And then I look and I say, wait a minute, how come Gary fucking B is is a multi-millionaire and he never went, you know what I mean? Now, That doesn't mean that everyone can do that way.
1: No, not everyone's supposed to. Right.
0: Right. But I I, I don't like, and I want to change the thought of, if you do this, if you drop out of school, you cannot be successful. That's not true.
1: So stupid. So wrong. Right. But they're also not saying, too, if you have to go to school, you have to put yourself in debt most of the time, because most people's parents can't afford to pay for an entire uh, education in the current uh, climate that we exist in.
0: every time. And I, I look at, and I, I look at the system and I go, my God, these, these students and I commend them. My daughter just went to college. Right. Uh, but the coming out of all this debt, it's like, my God, you're coming out of school to make 70 grand a year. And having all this debt, and it's such a like a, a wheelhouse, you know what I mean? When you you could start a store on Amazon and sell a product from Alibaba and make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year with no debt, and you know what I mean? Like, but the world doesn't want to teach you that. It, it's just like finance. Like, I remember going to private school and I didn't learn about finance. I didn't learn. Holy shit! How do you our, go to private school for five thousand dollars a year and not fucking learn about finance? It doesn't make any sense.
1: Our finance class was so funny, and I was making. I was making I was making about two thousand dollars a week in high school, in cash. And I was asking my finance teacher, "What, what is what is what is the what some of the things that I do here? Like, what do I do with all this money?" And he had no idea what to tell me. He had no idea. And then I go up and I buy Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and then I start getting an idea on how to save money and 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 and, and uh, not be stupid. But nobody ever told you to to, to save money here and to invest money here. Yeah. And to they don't admit, and, buy assets. And, yeah.
0: It's crazy. And like that's a thing like taking the music back, like I'm really wanting to show a new generation. Like I'm I'm hoping that I'm gonna be able to show them that. Like, let's think, let's think outside the box. Let's look at like Jimmy Buffett. I always now I'm saying because I'm playing in Margaritaville and I can see his whole empire very, you know, up close and personal, because I wasn't a Buffett fan either, like of his music.
1: Well, you know, it would make sense because over, what, 80% of his, um, of his fan base, he's super conservative. And they're all over the age of 45. I did not. and That's like a high-resolution data fact.
0: That's I didn't, Dude, I didn't even know. I, I, it's crazy. But, like, that was a prime example. He, he, he was trying to do something with himself. And one thing, he moved. And then that's just, t- he didn't even have a number one. I think Margarita was like a number eight or something on the charts. Are you serious? Yeah, but you think that you have to be oh, okay, I need this many number ones to end up becoming being worth 200 million dollars. Well, he didn't have one number one and now he's worth like 700 million dollars. Oh my god, sir. Right. And he has his own fan base because he made good decisions and he 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 embraced it like think about this. And we can look at this in real time now and look back I, is there any way Jimmy Buffett's writing style would fit into the, the pigeonhole of trying to write for commercial radio? I mean, and zero yeah. percent, sir. Right. He's a great writer. He really is. Like I listened to his songs like he's a great writer. Right. I, I love his, his the way he, you know, puts these things into poetry, but it would never work in that environment. So he went outside like in Gloria Estefan, same way, like learning these things like she has Estefan's kitchen. She's worked, right? I mean, worked so much. And so I'm just much more interested in, in doing something that than I am chasing number ones. I'm much more interested in really having a great journey. I'm much more interested in having a great fan base and doing my own thing than I am trying to chase the trend now. And you are doing it, sir. I'm trying. I don't know if I'm doing it well, but I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm working on it, you know? And, yeah, from the play, it's always
1: our job to be the person who says, the first thing you're doing is trying.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's like I'm really now at that point where I'm trying to bring all things together. Like I'm trying to, like I've been, I play with, and it's so amazing, it's so funny when it happens, when I put my telly down, and when I say put it down, I, I still play, but I just, I've, I've played so many years with my grandpa's guitar, his acoustic guitar, and people, it's like Willie Nelson's Trigger, It's almost like giving me the spirit. And I've had so many people tell me, you know, that they just love me authentically just playing with that acoustic with my voice. And that's it, you know, like nothing else, no frills. And I probably will pull the Sturgill and do a bunch of records like that. And then I'll come out with a big old telly album and a, you know, jam band, because that's what Tim McDonald and I were really is a jam band.
1: Jam jams. Tim does. I'll have to get Tim on here sometime with you.
0: Oh God, I'll pray for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, and what you do is is you. I mean, you are your own thing. And you got to think too, isn't it always fun when you look back on having to have worked harder, you never would have traded it for an easier experience. And that seems to be with anything in life.
0: Wow. And that's so interesting because I was driving 14 hours in, a, in my van every two weeks to see my lady right and oh wow man yeah and it's so funny and playing and doing all these things and driving home see my daughter and stuff and wow. somebody said that I'm a fish that likes to swim upstream you know what I mean maybe it's true Maybe. but I, I love like I love that that the toughness grind like I embrace that like I always like when people are having a, a tough day like young folks they'll they'll say, Oh, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm like, one day you'll be 85 and you'll be in a nursing home and you'll wish you could get up and go walk around. So don't complain. That's the realest thing.
1: Keeping that perspective of when you're not, because you do, we too, we do kind of sedate ourselves with ease. Like that's now we're inclined as humans. And so yeah. practicing that behavior of always taking that challenge, doing those extra five sets. It's real.
0: Right. And like, it's funny to me, like, Eric Church is someone I I, I love because Jesus. everybody thinks I'm Eric Church. You know, they, when I put on a pair of glasses, they think I am. I'm from the same region, yeah. but it was funny to me. Like he made this comment. I think he was playing at the stadium or something, uh, Bridgestone or not Bridgestone. What's the he's on
1: stadium? Yeah, he did the biggest show in Nashville history, fifty five thousand people.
0: And he goes, and I love Eric Church. So this is not a knock on Eric Church, but this is a nod to to what I do and a nod to what you do. And he goes, yeah, man, we're out there, and we're really doing it, and we're playing three hours. And I go, three hours? <laughs> 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 we're, we're, we're three hours. What, three hours? I've done 12 hours. Easy, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> easy, right? Like, it's just, you know what I'm saying? And so, and then the, the public is like, oh, my God, three hours. Da, da, da. But but that's a thing that I, I'm trying to show all these hardworking musicians like myself or you or anybody else that's been four hours at Roberts and then another four hours of legends, another four hours, this, you know, for, for whatever it was, four or 500 bucks, 600 bucks at the time. And so, you know, appreciate that grind. And also I'm, I'm, I love that whimsical thing of like Jimmy Rogers, like Jimmy Rogers just played, had his guitar and like town and playing, you know, small places. Like, like Sturgio actually said this, he says, I prefer to play bars.
1: Jack White says the same thing. I mean, it makes sense why you prefer it. The reflectivity of energy is so much faster and
0: real. Yeah. It's like, it, we're, and again, it's just that moment where we're thinking we want something bigger, you know? And like, but, but just embrace, I think, just embrace where you are and try to help people. Like that's Really try to help people and love people and try to understand people. We all, everybody needs to be understood. You know what I'm saying? So
1: what is it that's on your mind, like technique-wise? And I don't even want to think about it as a technique, because it's I look at technique and natural intuition as two very different things. Um, But there is a thing that you do when you get on stage where it could be any room, it could be any time. Mm -hmm. It just as if Tim McDonald's on any piano. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if I'm on any guitar, it's going to sound solid. But there's something about when you get in a room and your thing is entertaining like that is True. And it's i don't want to tell you what your thing is but that's a huge asset in what you do what's in it that's in your mind is it a lack of fear is it actually knowing i can't mess up no no that and, and
0: when i say mess up let me let me i i look at at my the stage and this is really crazy as a nah. i look at it as, a as how so I look at it like when I'm getting ready to go on stage, I'm getting ready to go into a UFC fight. Right? And it's my it's my cage, it's my wrestling ring, it's my area. Like Sean Michaels who's a great what known as the greatest technician of all time in wrestling said, "I I I dictate the environment." A lot of wrestlers go off the environment, the crowd. They they'll start changing what they do based on the crowd right he says I am the wrestler and I am putting on the show and so I will move the energy right that's how his belief and that's also a little bit of my belief I I, I am going on stage and my goal is to make every single person feel involved make the person that that is sitting there that no one would notice notice them uh, how raise the in glory, I'm always looking on stage at people. That's I'm, I'm, I'm watching people and I'm observing and I'm observing who I feel emotionally is going through something, who I feel is hurt, who I feel is maybe having some problems and I want to raise them up. A lot of people all the time tell me that I'm a preacher. That's Everybody says to me that I'm, they're like, dude, you're like, I, I get this so much. I don't know if it's because I button my shirt all the way up, but they go, you, you're like a preacher. But the thing about that is because my goal, like I, my name is David. my my mom named me David Jason after David in the Bible, who was the king of music, but he was also a great warrior and a king. And I believe, and I'm not, I'm very spiritual, but I love everybody's beliefs and all that good stuff. But he was also not known just for the music because he was, he was the king of music in the Bible, but he was also not just the king of music. And so I'm going there for, to touch people to not just deliver a music show. I'm going there to bring everybody together so they walk out of that moment remembering that moment and and feeling better and having a great time. And I'm like, for example, a lot of people say, oh, well, you're Christian. How can you go play at these bars? How can you do this? But Jesus Christ was going into the worst places and he was forgiving everybody and he was loving everyone. If you believe, you know, if you're a believer in that, and that's what he was doing. He wasn't judging. He wasn't, you know, going into the finest places. So I am going with the intent to help people. That's that's my number one goal these days. When I go to play a show, is to help people. And I think that was always my goal, even when I was in Nashville. But maybe my own want and desires maybe or maybe making it look different than it was, or maybe it was. I think it maybe it did show a little, a lot. But that's when I approached the stage. Now I'm very competitive on the stage. I'm very, I'm very. Um, when I'm if I'm playing with a band, I'm 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 like Lightning Hopkins. You know, Lightning Hopkins said when he was playing with a band, "Hey, follow me, mm. follow me." I'm from the old school of like watching Merle like Merle Haggard. When I saw him at the Opry with Willie. They both did the same thing. The band followed them.
1: Yeah. That is the country thing. Yeah.
0: Right. So it, I'm ready to go and I'm ready to play and I'm ready to do it my way. But it's weird because I, I look at you like my uncle a little bit. Like you guys are so technically amazing. Right. I mean, you are. Now you're like a little different than Tim because Tim is a flat out virtuoso. But huh. you have a little more. You have also the spirit. Mixed in with the playing ability. Mm. Okay. And so Willie is not really like a technical, technically amazing guitar player. Mm. He has a style that everybody in the world knows.
1: Mm, Right. Oh my God, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you have to find, I, I like that balance. Like I purposely now don't, I know this is gonna sound really fucked up what I'm about to say, but I don't really practice because I'm not after being technically the greatest guitar player. I can play fast. I'm, I'm kind of like Sturgill. Sturgill's not technically the... He's a great guitar player. He is. And he, doesn't, and he doesn't need Lars, whatever his name is, to play. Laura right. yeah. Right. But he's not uh, like Lars. Lars is a technically... Really, really
1: yeah, different dude, man. Different being, you know, and different intention. And it's... Yeah, that's a real thing.
0: So... I, I'm more on spirit. I'm more on bringing people together. I'm more on taking people and making, for example, there's a history and this is not meant to sound in a bad way, but when I was getting, when I was at my wedding in Brazil, uh, there was a butler outside of it because my lady's family is wealthy and everything. And they're amazing people, just lovely people, but it's a different culture. You know, that culture, everybody that's it's no middle class. They have maids if you're wealthy. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And the butler was on the outside. And I remember he was sitting outside of the, the building. And I said, what's he doing? Well, he's staying outside. And I and I said, why is he staying outside? And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not doing anything until he comes inside and is, is eating and is joyful and is... Drinking and everything, and we then a couple, few days later we had a get together, and they tr- the family treats everyone so well, you know what I mean. Hmm. But I really made it a point. I, I did this little private show for the family, and I made it all about this guy. How this guy, I made it all about him because wow, because we need to show people's talents. Sweeping a floor is a talent, right? But we never notice sweeping a floor. We think oh. Oh, it's the janitor. But he has just as much talent as the guitar player. But society doesn't recognize that, right? We as musicians are really lucky. Everywhere we go, even if we're not famous, people always always making over us. We can be the shittiest musician in the world. People are like, "Yo, oh, you did a good job. You did a great job. But how many people tell the guy sweeping the floor at the Outback what a great job he did?
1: Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And we don't take time to notice that as a society. So I'm really on a mission to take all those people that, that we don't notice. And I want them to get noticed. I want them to get noticed for their talent. I want them to get noticed for what they bring to the world, right? They're Grammy because they need a Grammy, the ditch digger that's sitting digging a ditch today while you and I are doing a podcast. You know what I mean? Like
1: very real, sir. That's very,
0: that's my, that's what I'm, when I'm walking onto the stage now, wherever I'm at, my goal is to bring everyone down, up. and, and that's not a thing against the wealth, anybody wealthy. I, I People generally that I meet are great people. I'm a, I'm a person that looks, looks and believes that people are great. Now, we've got some horrible things going on in society right now. But if we just look and, and learn to understand each other better, and we didn't just look at a political opinion as the overall opinion on why we're liking another person or not. And we looked at, think about it, when a person tells you, they don't like a pizza style. You don't say, fuck, I'm done with you, motherfucker. You don't like supreme pizza. I like pepperoni. I'm done. <laughs> right. Real. right. But we do that on politics. You know what I mean? So we go, oh my God, this person likes this and, da, 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 and it's a big fight. But if we just learn to be more understanding as humanity, then I believe we could conquer a lot more. But we have to get over that gap, right? That's been going on all our life. It's the lunchroom gap. It's that cool kids are sitting at this table. Then the nerds sit at this table, then the nerds to get back at the cool kids, develop their own thing. And we all start fighting. It's, it's really juvenile. If we, really-
1: we are tribal though, you know, as beings, we are very tribally based and it's like, it's very fascinating to see how that happens in the music industry too. And, and, and then, you know, when you are on stage and you, there's a room of people that are, that are there all in attendance for the one event that's happening. And there's one song happening and it's, all of a sudden that stuff kind of dissipates. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it truly does. And man, you do you do such a fantastic job of making sure that, that happens. You know, for for me, it's mainly my guitar playing. And it's where the where the where I can take the music and make that happen. But there's something that you do, which is words and calling people out over the microphone and asking them questions to get to know their story. But in a public domain, it's almost like a like a Socratic seminar whenever you play a show. Because everyone's involved, but you're always talking to a person.
0: Oh, that's so interesting, man. And I want to add to that by saying, dude, and I think I look at you with such admiration because I, you're near and dear to my heart for being the first. For my guitar being the first one you ever played on stage. For first, television. I have a lot of pride over you. And I really want to take the time to say that I do think you're a masterful entertainer uh, in, in your own way. And I think that's another thing is that, you know, I see you connecting with your audience and, and you guys having that tribal effect in your own way, right? And, and something like we, we talk about, and I need this to be known on this podcast, very important that this is known. Uh, develop your singing. For example, you've come a long way in it, right? And I'm going to put it out there because your guitar playing, you were always doing that instinctively since you were young and you were just great at it and natural at it. Right. Vocal was something you, like me, had to work at more, But now it's really coming into its own and you're entertaining and your vocal style is really merging together, like with your new album, which I just think is. Thank you. This is not a this is not a just a moment to give you this shout. It's a real truth that it's really unique. I, I enjoy your your singing on it, your songwriting and your guitar playing. And it seems as though they're all coming together as one. Right. And I think you are touching your. Your tribe and my 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 little dance maybe is that maybe even in school I was always able to be with the super cool guys playing football then I was over there playing hacky sack in that group And then I was over there so I think I was always just connecting with all of these different groups and I think psychologically I've always done that you know what I mean but I always had a soft spot maybe from my upbringing maybe because I grew up and I I never wanted anything my family took. Amazing care of me, but I grew up in such a humble environment, right? Where, you know, my grandma fixing dinner and my grandma and my mom going to church together and we working in a field on a farm together. Hmm. And I didn't have, I didn't even know air conditioning until I was like 20 or until I was like 17, excuse me, 17, 18. Got my, my, my double at home when I got, yeah, that's when I had central air. So, like, I look at things that people don't look at things like, like running water. Right. There were several years that my mom went without running water, you know, in our house. And, we, you know, yes, yeah, she had to use buckets and different things. Like, And I look at that and I see what blessings that we have that we wow. we just we don't notice. We just don't we don't take the time to notice oh, wow. that the water runs out of the spigot right into a cup for us. And oh, my God. Oh, here it is. You know, we okay. can. back. Right. Now-
1: that's a big recurring theme in your music is practicing or in, in this dialogue gee, that we've had rather is practicing perspective and not taking things for granted.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I'm very, sometimes my lady gets super pissed at me because I'm <laughs> calm. She's like a tornado. She's brilliant. My wife is a, she's a genius, but in a different way, she has a totally different thought process than I do about things like. That's crucial. Yeah. Because she is a person that that is, has to look deep within everyone, you know, every day, and has to really uh, excavate what's going on with them internally. And I, and I do it in more of a group setting with people, and I'm bringing them up, and she's lifting them up one on one. So we have really different perspectives. <laughs> but I don't know where I was going with this or what I was trying to say. I'm losing my train of thought. Maybe I need another coffee. But I think it's just think it's learning to take everyone's gift. And learning to understand everyone's genius, and taking time to value it, and I, I'm I'm trying to sing that more in my songs. Like Paul Worley said something, and another guy, a friend of mine that runs Olay, Jill's uh, Goddard, up in Nashville, and they both said the same weird thing. I don't even listen to Bob Dylan; I don't listen to his music. But they're like they compared me to Bob Dylan. Now I'm, I'm clearly don't have any of his record sales. I'm clearly, you know what I mean. But I don't know what it was. But it's like. I'm trying to make my writing, my songwriting, more about what I really do in my freestyle. And my freestyle, you know, I'll just be talking to you and I'll find out about what you're doing. And I'll just go up on stage and sing about it. I can sing about it right now. You know what I mean? The whole deal. And I'm trying to make my actual sit-down songwriting more like my freestyle songwriting, if you're asking me about techniques and things like that. Like, because there's two different things. There's me sitting down writing a song for my record or song, single, whatever. And then there's me on stage on the fly, writing several songs a day. Right. But,
1: We're straight up just writing songs, coming up with chord progressions and rhythms on the spot, not even going to songs that are already written. I've seen yeah, it I, I, I write
0: so many songs each day at Margaritaville, wherever I'm playing, I'm writing Several and some, and you have to catch them. I mean, literally, and they're great, whatever that they are. But they're totally different than my technique of sitting down and writing out. Thinking, I'm learning not to. uh, to, to Have you ever thought
1: about a live show? Have you ever thought about recording your live set and just putting that out into the world on Bandcamp
0: for free? It might might be a grand idea. It might be so deadhead and awesome.
1: I mean, so man, people really. The first thing people say about anyone that we've mentioned today, that is still alive for that matter, is that oh, you've got to see the live show. And I think that's a real subconscious distinction people make between artists and others. And it's the fact that I love this artist, but I'm never, I, I don't care about the live show. And a lot of people really are, are, in that boat, but a lot of country music, I think that's the biggest thing. Like that's the biggest divider is well, how's the live show, whether it's pro countries and outlaw countries and Americana, what is the live show like? And it's like, if the, if your live show is where you shine, that
0: is, wow. think- dude. it's so, that's so weird that you're saying that. Cause I'm in some weird space. Like you really have this thing going on with your deadhead community and this thing. And I'm somewhere like out there in the universe as this really weird entity because I'm kind of, I'm so country like Willie Nelson, really. But I'm so jam bandy in that deadhead sense, even though I'm not, I don't listen to the dead. Just being honest, I listen to the Beatles are my, my big thing. And I'm, I'm somewhere with the freestyle stuff like out in Jimmy Buffett land, but freestyle, you know, when I'm just playing acoustic and doing that thing. And so it's a weird, it's a real, then I have the banjos thing going. So it's a really weird evolved space, right? And maybe my, my biggest thing is that I tried to put a label on it. now I'm really not trying to put a label and I'm just kind of rolling with what I do and saying. Right.
1: Cause it's not your job to put a label on it. The fans will do that.
0: Right, and like you said, really making a reggae album—that's kind of where I'm at. Like right now, I'm in this big thing of like, I'm taking a lot of my songs from old albums, and I'm making videos on them, and I'm releasing them. And and one album doesn't sound like another, but to the world, they really don't. know you know, it's not like Jason Link is a to men, so it's okay. Uh-huh. It's new to them, right? But I'm I'm embracing whatever that sound was on one record, and whatever this sound is on another record. And I want it to be continually evolving like that because I think John Mayer is brilliant in that aspect. Like one album's both one album's Continuum, one out, al- and everybody wants him to make Continuum fifteen times, but he knows that it's no need to try to replicate it because it can only come once, really.
1: You I, know? yeah, man. I mean, that guy is—he's like the Michael Jordan of of, of the of this generation. Oh, that's really well said. Yeah, that is that is so true. He really is in that in that realm. Timing, contention—the the tenure within contention reveals the
0: utmost. Uh, truth yeah the truth is the
1: only thing that can live
0: john is the thing for i think all the instagram generation of new guitar players they can look to and i I love his advice on telling them to go back farther than him like if you're asking about pure like guitar ability because i'm somewhere in a weird space in that too because you and my uncle and johnny holland jd simo y'all are all in your own little guitar world and i am a guitar player and i I am in that space too, but in a very different way. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, in your own way. and Yeah, yeah it's a very strange way. But something something that I'm totally into right now in guitar playing is I'm totally into what maybe I call it the JD right now of not playing with any effects. I'm really into that moment because I played with effects in Nashville and I, I look back on it and go, oh, it's so distorted It's so this, so so masked up with stuff, and I was just doing it because I'm younger and trying to do whatever. But also, it's a crutch, you know. It's a guitar crutch.
1: It man, yeah, that really it's can be a crutch.
0: Right, it's a crutch. Compression, all these things are crutch. And not to say, like, I love them using them as you're doing them in a style like Ray Flack used compression
1: on Ricky Skaggs' record uh, yeah.
0: on the Ricky Skaggs record. Like, I have um, Michael gave me because my uncle's sound was always a PV Nashville 400 Something. with a Furman rack compressor, an old Furman DOD wow. delay. And it had a great sound it had that classic Ricky Skaggs tone. Right. And I really loved that as an effect, but I don't like using these things when they're all meshed together. Cause I'm really into vintage sounds. Like yeah. I really, I like anything that sounds from the fifties, sixties or seventies. I don't really like, like I think I think everything today, and I'm gonna sound so oh my god, I'm gonna sound so gray right now. But everything we're always searching to have the sound of yesteryear, but we don't realize that the sound of yesteryear was very basic and very s- simple. So if we just strip it down and plug it in, like BB King, maybe the reason was so BB King is just plug and play. And what's even funnier, we as guitar enthusiasts think that tube amps are all the way. Okay. Everybody thinks the tube amp is the thing. And I Not have BB King. Right. I have some great ones of my grandfathers that I'm proud of. The 57 Deluxe, the 583, you know, that's one of my oh, favorites.
1: Yeah. Are those Baldwin amps that Willie plays out of?
0: Right. But but some of my favorite artists have solid or use solid state. It's Willie's amp is solid state. B.B. King was playing through a Gibson Lab series. Yep. Solid state. So I'm on, on the musical side of me like a guitar playing, I'm, I'm, I won't, I'm trying to tell guitar players to think less about all this stuff that they read of what this is and what that is. Because like Willie, he found a unique tone by using a solid state app with the pickup put into the Martin had something unique. Mm-hmm. So if we stop discriminating against sound, because we can kind of be judgmental of sound.
1: We're trying to call all ways,
0: yeah. Right. If we imagine ourselves blind as Ray Charles and just listen to what the actual sound is and stop discriminating against it and guitar players, we can be very snobbish. We go, oh, that's a, oh, no, this is a such and such from this and this and this and that. But to the common ear, if you play play it through the studio, they'll never be able to tell
1: oh i mean that's the realest thing i think it's heritage versus um heritage versus progression right and a lot of players want things to be uh heritage based unchanging and because you know that belief system of what works is to not be changed and tempered with yeah Um, that's a real thing man that's i mean it's very real it it comes down to it seems like all signs especially the farther you go back mm -hmm. all signs point inward the better you are as a person at playing your instrument, being able to communicate your personal truth, mm. the better it'll come off and it'll, it'll stand the test of time.
0: You know what's so amazing that my lady told me? Because I... I need to find me a Brazilian woman. Maybe Do that's you know. what you're needing. You know what I mean? Oh, she wants me into good stick. I was in Wikipedia today. I mean, damn. Well, yeah. You know what? It's like I have to shout her out. Like, but, but I have to shout her out because I live with her. You know what I mean? My mom and my grandma have given me just as much inspiration, my mom and my grandmother, are my heroes, along with my grandfather. But I'm, I'm shouting out what, what would be considered as... Maybe if you don't look into it the correct way, it might be considered as negative. But for example, my lady always says this about me. She goes, darling, there will never be a best. That's real. There will never be a best. You think you'll be the best salesman, the best this, the best that, but there'll never be a best. But I strive to be the best. Yeah, yeah. The best is. But that's like guitar playing. Like, is Danny Gatton the best? Is Roy Buchanan the best? Is Albert Lee the best? Is Ricky Skaggs the best? Brad Paisley the best? So really, at the end of the day, it comes down to a style. And like you, something I'm a big fan of you, is you're kind of reminding me of Waylon a little bit right now in your progression as a guitar player. Because I look back at your Roberts, I study your Roberts stuff, and you were playing amazing licks, amazing things. But you have more of a style now than you did when you played at Roberts. You have more of a sound now than you did when you played there. Now, I know you were trying to fit the part, clearly. Oh, now, it sounds more Daniel Donato.
1: Yeah, I'm so on the inside of that. It's impossible for me to have the space to see. And it's like, that's
0: Right. I see you as playing at Roberts. You're flying up and down the fretboard. Now, I see you last night on YouTube. You're doing Weird Out. Bob oh, weird. yeah, with Bob we are. mama on That shows me you're very comfortable with who you are now. You're very oh, yeah. oh yeah, You man. don't need to. As a guitar you player. Do fly. You do fly. You can fly up and down the fretboard, but I see you're also comfortable in that space.
1: Oh, man, it's all about that, you know? And it's like, um, I think when people, when you say you want to be the best in something, that word isn't actually saying what you, what your intention is internally is Mm, yes you know you don't actually know what it what you're going for when you say i want to be the best but you're just using the word that we've learned means yeah well we really it's that consistent and persistent pursuit of fulfilling the potential that you have for this
0: world and i think with you like i really want to give you a nod out i think you have this innate sense that you didn't just want to be another guitar player through the Don Kelly pipeline. And I hate to say it like that. It'll sound so brash on this podcast because they are all tremendously talented players. More brash making- what
1: I said today. <laughs> and that was a-
0: <laughs> right. But I think you had this thing that you you really wanted to create something very unique in a space, I believe. When I'm just always- against you and uh, because that's what you've really done. And I, I tell you all the time, like, I, I admire it. I talk about you down here. I say, wow. And I really, you're an inspiration to me. You're an inspiration to me. And that, that to me is full circle. You know, when, when I can be an inspiration to you at Legends Corner and what you want to do, and then I can look at you and I can say, wow, he's an inspiration to me because he's being consistent and he's growing his own thing. That's when I think we've come full circle.
1: Wow, man is that not is that not the most beautiful way to end this conversation
0: I knew it it was poetically perfect I gotta I gotta go sling vacay now and then I gotta go play a show so it's perfect
1: okay (laughs) I love you my friend and we'll do more of these we'll we'll do many of these episodes
0: dude I loved it I love you I love your crew thank you for being my crew and I'm going to rejoice and being jolly and I hope you do the same too
1: (laughs) All right, my friend thank you love you love you my friend I'll talk to you later peace Beautiful. What a, a, an astounding individual. Uh, go, indeed, check out Jason Link's music. Check him out on all the social media platforms. And um, pay attention to those serendipitous moments in your life when it seems like uh, life is calling you for something. And, and the people that are involved in those moments. Um, things are meant to happen in certain ways. And I'm extremely grateful. Uh, I was walking past Legends Corner that day and Jason Link was there. Uh, One of my dear mentors, one of my dear friends. Thank you guys so much uh, for watching The Lost Highway Podcast, episode 32, my friends. We are working on a new Cosmic Country covers album. Uh, Join us on Patreon to support the podcast. Follow me on YouTube. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on TikTok, Facebook. And most importantly, join the Cosmic Country Club on com. That is where it all happens. Again, Y'all stay positive, stay patient, stay persistent, stay cosmic. I'll talk to y'all later.